0: Hey everybody, it's the latest edition of the Outdated Wrestling Hour. Everybody always asks me, how'd you get that job on the wrestling podcastages? Well, people don't know this, but when I was a youth, a strapping young buck, I was a member of the ring crew locally here in Jersey. I used to help set up the rings, and my job was set up the ring post. It's really easy. I happen to have a ring post right here, as you can plainly see, and I'm going to show you the proper way to set it up. Now, all you got to do is take the bottom of the thick. My shin. It's the outdated wrestling hour. The only ring that guy knows is around the bathtub. Hey everybody, it's Bob Smith, the former Pro Wrestling Illustrated Managing Editor who used to be managed by Craig Peters, the Editor-in-Chief at that very same magazine and family of magazines. And on this special edition of our Outdated Wrestling Hour, we're going to take a look back and let you sit along with us as we show you how we put every issue of every magazine together from the start to the finish The problems we encountered, the fun we had, the troubles we had, all of it in one big stew. And we think you'll find it interesting. We think you'll find it funny. And we hope you'll stick around for the length of this longer-than-usual show. But enough of my yakking. Let's get along and listen to the sounds of the great Craig Peters. We're already laughing our asses off, folks. Hi, this (laughs) is Bob Smith, your outdated host on the Outdated Wrestling Hour and as you know far too well by now, a, the former writer with Pro Wrestling Illustrated. And guess who's back by popular demand? One and only Craig Peters, the yes. former editor-in-chief of PWI and all your favorite wrestling magazines. Craig, it's good to see you.
1: It's good to be here. One of your listeners, Jerry Popular, demanded that I come back for a second episode. And here we are. <laughs> I think I just um, joking in the book. <laughs> it sure is. <laughs> And we uh, have two oldest jokes in the book here doing this right podcast. Right here, yes. But, yeah, we, but are. Yes. we are going to do something on this podcast. So, this is one of many wrestling podcasts out there. And I have been on a few other wrestling podcasts over the last couple of years. And if you are a fan of old school wrestling magazines, this is the episode for you. We are going to dive under the hood of the wrestling magazines in a way that no one anywhere on any podcast has ever done. So has that for a tease? Tremendous.
0: All I right. Can't, I we'll can't see, wait to
1: dive into it. We'll see you next time. It's been this great. Stage, Thank folks. you. Uh, see, <laughs> see you next time
0: on the shortest episode o- ever. O W H. to We're going we're gonna to make t-shirts say O-W-H, and they're going to have stains on them, pre-stain for your convenience. So I... <laughs> <laughs>
1: I We're have in to say, those moods, guys. I'm sorry. It is. It's it's <laughs> it's a it's a Monday afternoon, and it's it's one of those Mondays. And we won't talk about. Uh, well, we won't even talk about that. But right. we will talk about this. Is um, I appreciate being called back for a second episode here. It was a lot of fun the first time. I know it'll be a lot of fun this time. Um, please refer to previous teas uh, for about that. But you know, since since the last episode, I just want to say um i don't get a chance to watch a lot of uh wrestling or wrestling documentaries on tv i um, particularly this month i've went to quite a few concerts and been keeping busy going out a and few few yeah well you you know we're we're connected on social media and you saw i saw springsteen uh craig uh, craig, uh,
0: craig craig here says he saw springsteen
1: he, yes he,
0: i think he has a uh a cubicle on Springsteen's bus at this point. I, 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 You have been to more Springsteen concerts than I've had hot
1: dinners, my friend. <laughs> it's uh, amazing. By, by Springsteen fan standards, <laughs> not that many, but I'm I'm closing in on 40. So I saw him for the 38th time a couple of weeks ago. Then we saw Little Feet the other day, which was, it was great. We were sitting about, we had front row, sitting about 10 feet away from Bill Payne, there you go. who's still got it. Um, saw Stephen Van Zandt and the Disciples of Soul in Red Bank, New Jersey. Um, so yeah, so it's it's been uh, it's been a busy month, but I did get a chance because I saw a lot of talk on social media about the A and E uh, episode about Dusty Roads and. You know, it really was. It was a terrific, terrific episode of A&E Biography. Um, And it just, it felt like it dovetailed really well with this podcast. I mean, um, you know, we talked about it before we went on air, you know, watching some of these old clips of Dusty coming up and just the the atmosphere of what those TV shows were like. And even the fact that he won the belt with a small package. When was the last time that happened? Oh my gosh.
0: Probably when Dusty did it. Yeah, or, or one, of the, one of the Rick Steamboat matches, maybe against Flair. Yeah. yeah. And
1: yeah, what is that? So late,
0: late 80s, early 90s at, at the newest.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So what? Like 30, 30 years. Does anybody even do a small package anymore?
0: I think they see them try them in some WWE matches, but it's always in minute three. Right. Oh, it goes for an early win. You know, one of those. And then, then right, they return right. again, you know. So, so, But yeah,
1: it was, it was a great episode, and uh, yeah, I mean, I learned, a, I learned a bunch of stuff that I didn't know before, but that's, that's not unusual for me when I watch these shows. But yeah, it was, it was very good, so I would recommend it. Okay, I want you folks to
0: know that both Craig and I are armed with bells today, a la Steve Yes, Allen. we are. Yes, we are. Okay, now- Mine's, mine's a little flat. We're going to be quizzing each other. Here's my first quiz. Would a guy like Dusty Rhodes make it today?
1: Yes, or no. That's interesting. Well, you know, that was, I think, the real interesting part of that show to me was, you know, it was, there was Dusty Rhodes and then there was Polka Dot Dusty Rhodes. Right. And would Dusty make it today? Well, Polka Dot Dusty might. Polka Dot Dusty was
0: Diet Dusty Rhodes. That wasn't Dusty Rhodes. You know what I'm saying? He didn't have any of the flavor of the gritty, soulish, funky Dusty Rhodes of the NWA. He just didn't.
1: Yeah, and and that's what this show really brought out. I mean, you really got an appreciation for um, for him, his skill on the mic, uh, the reason why he resonated with crowds as as much as he did. Um, I don't think he could make it today. You right. know, it's, I mean, I don't, what, we, we could go down a political rabbit hole, but no, no. Here's here's my answer to that, Kevin Owens.
0: Okay, not the greatest of shape. But he made it. Now, he doesn't have the gift of gab that does, but he does in a different kind of a way. So I, I liken Kevin Owens to Dusty Rhodes in that regard. Like, Interesting. He'll, he'll never be a body beautiful, and he wrestles in a, t- a full-length t-shirt, with okay. arm, an armless t-shirt. Uh-huh. Uh, because if he, I think if he showed his entire physique, he would, people would go, "Oh, Blubber Ben or something like that. Right. I I think that if you have the strong enough overall charisma, you can make it in wrestling. Still, I mean, you can look at Mick Foley like that too. In a way, you know, he wasn't a big muscular muscle uh-huh. man. He, he he gained fame in the height of the muscle era. So, I I say yeah, Dusty would have made it.
1: Okay, I'll buy that. Okay, that's, that's
0: my thinking on that.
1: Raises an interesting question, though. If like if you look at any any star from the old days, the good old days. um, It's really two questions. Could they make it today? Or is there someone today who's doing in today's context what that star did in yesterday's context? I think you gave a good example of that, but I don't, you know, you could go down the list like Luthez.
0: (laughs) No, you can't. No, you can't. I just I no. There is no Luthor today. Nobody would accept Matt wrestling today. Nobody, nobody, nobody's going to book it. Nobody's going to watch it. So
1: that just wipes out a whole. Well, no whole category of.
0: Well, you know who wouldn't probably make it today is Bob Backlund. Would not make it today. You said no. Okay. No, but that's not. They would turn him into who? Um. Chad Gable. What Chad Gable is now a character. Hush. You ever see that guy? I have not. Another Sorry, form- formerly great collegiate wrestler who is <laughs> now a character. Now That's he's, a still,
1: good so, he's still question. So he still
0: he still wrestled with sort of a you know right. collegiate style. You know you can tell he knows his mat wrestling, but he, he had to be modified into a comedy character in order to
1: make him palatable for today's audiences, or so they think. Now, are there other collegiate wrestlers that do mat wrestling today? I mean, you know, I mean, I. Don't watch a whole lot, so I apologize for. My well, who on who that.
0: knows? They don't they don't bring up anything like that anymore. Right. I mean, maybe I don't know if Braun Breaker, which is Rick Steiner's son, I don't know if he was a collegiate wrestler. And no, I probably mm-hmm. was. He looks the type. Yeah, but I don't know that for sure. Why they never
1: bring it up? Right. Well, it doesn't matter Th- if you that
0: you know, wouldn't it, be a selling point. Can you imagine that being being an Olympic wrestler would not be or a collegiate champion would not be a selling point today at all? At all. Hmm. O- only in the cases of uh, Ronda Rousey does, does her past come up or someone like that. Someone who was okay. big in UFC or something like that. Or maybe right. you, uh, you, Logan Paul, I hate to say. You know, just... Uh, well, oh, UFC yeah. background or... Right, right. You- and, but background is something else. It's contemporary but I think I think that the WWE thinks that collegiate wrestling is boring and therefore oh. doesn't push it. Alrighty then. Could you imagine, imagine if they did that? Here, here comes a collegiate shepherd and he comes and stretches all the pros and then wins the championship. <laughs> like he beats them all in 35 seconds. Go go, go, go Right. A bunch of quick pinfalls Boom. and you know.
1: Tie them up, tie them up, tie them up. Main, main
0: events of Wrestlemania will be 29 seconds and you're a winner. <laughs> <laughs> <Bands of music>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I don't. I don't think it would work. It's, it's a fans would be sitting of-
1: in the stands, going, "What the hell? What was that? What did I just see?" Yeah. Well, no, they, 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 you know, it, this sort of feeds into the what we were also talking about before. Uh, before we started the episode here, which is, um, you know, the, the the TV shows of yesteryear, like the wrestlers themselves, were not um, did not have the type of production values that they have today. So it might be one camera on a ring or maybe two if it was a big budget production. Mm -hmm. Um, But now there's all this technology. And, you know, yeah, I mean, wrestlers these days try and top each other. High spot has to beat a high spot. Violence has to be more than before. You know, everything's got to be bigger and better and faster and and higher and all the rest of it. Um, And the technology really facilitates that, right? it happens in the same way with technology. So I am just wondering, like how much of what wrestling has become is the result of technology versus fans becoming numb to what was last year and the year before. That was a horribly phrased way of putting the question, but not too bad. No, I get
0: it. Um, it's a, it's a tough one to answer. Um, I do think that, uh, you said it the last time you we were on the podcast. Up, 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 up. We have something right. new to play with. Up, 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 Oh, This guy can leap off the ring and go 20 feet higher in the end than the top of the ring. Up, up, up. You know what I mean?
1: Right. Everything now has it's to be Now the top bigger. of the cage. Then it's the top you know, off the ladder right. on top of the cage. Then Whatever. we will be top yeah. of the building next week.
0: Uh, it, yeah. It's, it's like everything has to advance higher, higher, bigger, stronger. Never saw that before. Um, I think you make a point it, with that in your comment there, because it's like, if they have the technology, they're certainly going to exploit it.
1: I'm sure. Well, and and in a low tech world and by low tech, I'm meaning TV production, right? In a low tech world, sort of the comparison of the skills of the person in the ring. It's in other words, the skills are going to shine through more in low tech versus when there's high tech and lots of flash and lots of dazzle, lots of production value. The athlete has to have more of that him or herself to shine through all the production value and reach the audience. Fifty years ago, you didn't have to fight through all that production value. The, whoever the wrestler's personality was mm-hmm. could just come through. Right. I mean, right. you know, if you took Bruno's personality and put it in today's production value setting, what would happen? That's a good question. Or would he be
0: swallowed up by it? Right. I mean, remember the one time that Bruno teamed with Hulk Hogan? Did that look right to you? It didn't look right to me. It just it, didn't.
1: Yeah. It seemed
0: a, unseemly. It didn't. It felt like, I know it was an old champ and a new champ in the same tag team match, but just thinking about it, does it sound right?
1: It was one of those things that sounded much better on paper
0: than in reality. Yeah. You know, speaking of things that have advanced and not in a good way, is the <laughs> forced humor attempts of WWE. Every time they try to be funny, it's just embarrassing. Whereas, if you go back to the pre-technology days, I don't know if you're old enough to remember Friendly Bob Freed at Madison Square Garden, the original ring announcer there in the early 70s. I do and not. He, I actually did a parody of him on the beginning of one of my recent shows here. Okay. Because Bob Freed would mispronounce my name, Bob Smith. <laughs> he, he, he mispronounced half of what he talked about, yet he had a job for 15 years. And not only in New York, he went from New York to Washington to Baltimore, wherever they were promoting. Friendly Bob Freed was your ring announcer. When wow. they, and he's still, you could still see him on some early MSG clips on the WWE Did he ever do anything alongside Fico. Howie Finkel? No, I, Bob just disappeared from the scene. I don't know what happened. Uh. He was friendly. but <laughs> I went to John on John Rizzi's podcast. I said to John, I said, you know, Bob Freed would mispronounce my name. And John said, yeah, but he was friendly. Right. <laughs> Which is the that's funniest a, thing John's ever said. So it's it's, it's pretty that's good. A,
1: that's like the Ed Sullivan school of broadcasting. Yeah. Right? Like, you know, people used to talk about Ed Sullivan and say, yeah, nice guy, but he could count to three and get two of the numbers wrong. Yeah. <laughs> but but he, he'd always have a flower in the lapel, ill fitting sport coat. And you go, right here.
0: And our next card, the main event, one poll that we're finished, the Malton Giant. Baron <laughs> the co- skick Barone the cock lunar. you know, it just no matter what he would pronounce, it was dead wrong. Antonio Ponga glazing. Glazin, he would literally stutter in the ring. How he had kept the job for so long, I've, I don't know. That was I've, funnier than anything they can
1: come up with now. Have you ever mispronounced something that you knew was pronounced differently, but did so in a very public way? In other words, what? Like, just like, have you ever completely <laughs> embarrassed yourself publicly by mispronouncing something? Every day. Unintentionally. Well, I mean... You know. Not... Uh, yeah, I... Maybe listen, like a, a listen to thing, I, so,
0: someone I know, he drives me crazy, right, you know, very intimately, who pronounces it, uh, chi, uh what is it? Not, you know, chip... Chipotle? Yeah, he pronounces it Chipolte. chipotle. Chipotle. Every time he does okay. it, my head goes... <laughs>
1: You know, it's just, it's like, how do you, can you not know it's Chipotle? You know, it's, it's like. When when I was in college, I had a job working at a commercial radio station off campus, upstate New York, WCHN, AM and FM, Norwich, New York. It was great. It was like WKRP before they switched over to rock and roll. We would play, you know, Carmen Cavallero, organ records and things like that. It was, it was great. But so I would, I would do rip and read of the news at the top of each hour. And. Uh I I'm embarrassed to say that I pronounced uh I pronounced his name Menachem Begin. <laughs> yeah. And it was it was the only time I got a call from the owner of the radio station. Wow. Just like, yeah, that, that hurt. That hurt. That was bad. You know, here's the beauty part. You know, on
0: YouTube they have these little videos that tell you how to pronounce virtually everything. Right. Like our last guest was named Javier hoist and i had to look it up on youtube and they had his name ojst and it's pronounced Oist. and i'm okay great so I, I when i met him i pronounced his name pretty pretty close to being correct so i was happy about that but we didn't have that back then you know it's, it's like we had no helpers when you and i were coming up there were no everybody can find an answer to everything in 20 seconds now there's another right.
1: way the world has changed you know Oh, you know, we should talk about AI and wrestling. That's a whole separate podcast. I was just thinking about it, like AI and wrestling. We sh- we-, we should ask one of the AI uh, bots to generate the ultimate wrestling villain or the ultimate wrestling good guy. What would that be? Wow, that's there's a let thought. Them, let them mine the intelligence of of the globe that's all fed into ChatGPT. And so I've, I've I've played with with those AI bots a bunch, and I've done things like. Uh, Hey, ChatGPT, write write me the lyrics of a Bruce Springsteen song that's never been written. And it's pretty wretched what it comes up with. Yeah, yeah. But uh, you know, it's still learning. I mean, this is you know, top of the first, first batter with this stuff. So who yeah. knows where it's going to be in ten years? It's a little, little scary to me. But you know, what are you going to do?
0: I, you know, it, it's like a, it's like an avalanche. Here it comes. Yeah, I can feel it. AI in the next ten years is going to be huge in every Goodness. field.
1: It is. You know, it's, it's
0: just you can't stop it. Here it comes. It, the only th- the only yeah. positive I see from you can't catch COVID from it. So you know that, that's basically the only positive yep. I see in all this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, it'll create its own AI COVID, right? <laughs>
1: well, well, speaking of technology advances, you know, when when I started, and this this is my strained attempt at a segue here. Um, when i started at the wrestling magazines we were writing stories and this was 1981 we were writing stories on typewriters right and when you joined the magazines when i left them we were writing them on computers so we right. made we sort of uh, saw that transition in the publishing industry which was which was pretty interesting so let's let's dig in why don't we dig into it here yeah, sure. Um let's let's give everybody a uh sort of a peek behind the scenes and what so what Bob and I had, had talked about doing for this episode was making a journey of the average wrestling magazine from uh from conception to mm-hmm. printed product. Right. And not not a specific magazine and a specific store but just sort of generally what was the real nuts and bolts process of doing that? And yeah, I,
0: I get that question all the time. What was it like yeah. to work there? And this is what we're going to try to explain now is what it was like to work here, other than the fact everybody was nuts. Well, that, the, yeah, of course. The, yeah, right, yeah. But <laughs> but, but, <laughs> but we're going to try to lay down the nuts and bolts so you you can sit right in with us and get, get involved with our editorial team and our art department right. along with us, and you will know what it's like to work in the legendary glory days of PWI, That's in Rifle right. so, Center
1: and Freeport, New York. Strap in, yeah, c- yeah. So the first, I think, the, the the place to start, of course, of course, is the magazine schedule. Yes, um, we had a schedule that probably, I guess, it was a, I don't know, six months at a time, something like that. You know, we would know, we would be able to look ahead you know, to next week, next month and see what magazines were on the calendar. And, uh, you know, you could look at, you know, the first of the month and say, oh crap, we have six magazines to, <laughs> we yes, have to, this week. We yes, have to this create, week. yeah. Well, yes. it, yeah, so it was three or four in a week was Oh yeah, not unusual at the height. I mean, um, I, I'm sure that, you know, the, the
0: older fans who read the magazines must've realized that because they were all coming out in the newsstand. You'd see four
1: new GC London yeah. products. Be delivered on the same day you know and, and we talk about all the wrestling titles and i think one of the ones we mentioned last time was wrestling bad guys which i had forgotten right. about right did you know about wrestle america you were yes there for that. i worked on wrestle america sure now sure. do you know where wrestle america came from no idea i did not realize this until i started flipping through a couple of magazines that i have laying. wrestle america was the renamed sports review wrestling we renamed so, it. Sports Review Wrestling went away and became Wrestle America. That yep. I don't. Oh gosh, I don't remember that. I just thought we started. I didn't title. remember that either. Yeah. Like, were we you working
0: WCW that... at that point? Maybe because it was real late. I think so. Yeah, that was WCW. Well, Maybe times. we did that while you were working. You know, you, you know, up to your knees in WCW, but Wrestle Would America. Be, yeah, Wrestle America. And it, it and it still says Sports Review Wrestling in the snipe underneath. Yes, it so does. Under wrestle. With, right. with
1: the codes, it was still sports review to the distributors. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. You had to you had to play those games because otherwise... Yeah, to play
0: those games because you'd have to start a whole product and get a whole new set of clearances and it was harder to get it on the
1: newsstand yep. that way. Yep. So this is the kind of weeds we're going into, folks. Yes. <laughs> Deep in the uh, weeds of the, you the publisher. You must be real excited, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Um, Oh my gosh. So step one of of any magazine was, you probably did a bunch of these things too, was you would take a sheet of paper, we called it a layout sheet. Right. And it was roughly the size of a two page spread of the New York Times. Right. It had squares all over it, numbered pages. And you you would map out page for page, you know, page three, this is the contents. You know, page four, that's an ad. And where the columns go, where all the stories go. I'm proud to say I used a
0: layout sheet until April of 2021. Real that time, all that wow. time, every job I had since I left there, we still use the broadsheet layout sheets. Yep, you know it's just easier to do. Pass it around, you know, make yep. changes to it, write them on there. So, so even even as we went into electronic publishing, that was totally electronic. We still use the faithful draw a line on it, add for you know blow up dolls. Yeah. <laughs> Johnson Smith <laughs> on page five. Johnson Smith on <laughs> page thirty-two. Right, right, the whole page. Boom, boom. Uh,
1: but right, man. you know, yeah, no, I, I'm
0: proud to say that I am a layout.
1: That's chief. cool. Yeah, I've well, created you know, probably thousands of them. All by the myself. visual and yeah, I mean, you know, even it's probably the forerunner of you know wireframes. If if anybody in the audience is a d- digital designer for uh, mm-hmm. things like mobile apps and so whatnot, that's basically what we did. You're was saying that back frame. in
0: the day, that's the first thing we did was the layout sheet.
1: The first thing was the layout sheet.
0: Now, now when I was managing editor, I used to have to, to, to place the ads. Oh, okay. That's right. Okay. Right. The ads, but the ads be placed weren't the placed. But sheet. we would have ad wells. We would leave a spot, like a full page, eighth page, or a right. quarter page, or a half page. Yep. And it was my job to determine what went in those holes. Right. Right. But that happened after we determined what the editorial was.
1: Right. And you could always once you had the basic layout sheet done, you could always you know erase and oh this story was five pages long, we're going to make it four pages because we got a full page ad that we're going to throw in. Right, right. Um, So you'd have those sorts of adjustments you can make. But really, the, the the first step I think in the real production of the magazine was when somebody would scream out headlines, and that was when all the editors would gather their chairs in a circle. And Bill Apter would join the circle with a fistful of manila folders. And if he was doing Jerry Lewis that day, he'd come walking over like, oh sir, I with the folders, and he'd drop the folders all over the place. And you know, you'd have 15, 20 minutes of Jerry Lewis stick. That would <laughs> that would result.
0: And we um, all laughed uproariously. We did. No, we did not. <laughs> no, <laughs> Because my- because by by my fourth year of, of weekly Jerry Lewis stick, it, it got a little rote. We'll put it that way. Well, he didn't yeah. really change up the, change he's up the punchline there a whole lot. You know he's a I'm genius. Saying?
1: He's a genius in France. Yes, he is. <laughs> but well, so the, far more than Jerry Lewis, though I will say, Bill had a character called Mister London. Do you remember Mister London? Absolutely, I don't. Oh, so you know we were London Publishing. And you know Mr. London he had a bowler hat and he had the uh oh the, the Lord Albert Hayes monocle <laughs> he would bill would put the monocle in and the bowler hat on he would walk around and he, I think he had a uh, a cane also um he go oh, he'd walk around talking in a British accent oh yes it's Mr. London here just coming around to uh, see how things are going in my company and he'd go from desk to desk and just sort of uh <laughs> you know free associate with what was going on <laughs> oh er, my god Bob Smith, let me see, what story are you working on today Bob? how let did i miss
0: a- how did i miss this oh mr london was great i love was mr. he london. a freeport character that didn't come to rockville center or something because i, I don't was remember rockville center
1: it. also i missed that or maybe he started in rockville center and came, he was he was ready uh i think it was in, in pennsylvania also well let, but, let, yeah, Mr. London was.
0: Well, he did Mr. London. He did Ed Sullivan. Don't forget Ed Sullivan. The Ed List. Well, well,
1: the real thing with Bill that was fun is, and okay, and everyone's listening to this going, "Why the hell don't you talk about the headlines?" Well, no, this is what we would do, that's right? <laughs> we'd it sit took as long to get to him. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we would sit around in a circle. It's and just like this, you know, there's nothing changed, yeah, folks. It, exactly. Have a seat.
0: You, you, you want to pop? Have <laughs> yeah. pop because we're going to get to him in about ten minutes. So exactly, because
1: yeah, we would just yeah. we'd have to you know mess around to get to the actual work um but this was the creative process no so the other thing with bill is be okay bill because bill loves doing impressions and we would layer impressions on top of impressions so bill do bruno san martino doing an impression of hulk hogan (laughs) or you know (laughs) bill do um jerry lewis doing an impression of vince mcmahon and bill would do it i'm not even going to try and emulate what what he did but i, I do a fair bruno great.
0: but i can't do bruno doing anybody else it's like you know i, I, I dog got it i in 78 <laughs> it. it's, it's, in 78 in 78 i lost 70 pounds and i retained i retained my strength yet it developed speed on top of that's do, actually a cross between
1: bill after and <laughs> do, do you remember bill's bill's famous bruno knock knock joke what was it be knock knock who's there vince vince who Vince, who took the belt from me, Vince, who destroyed my career, <laughs> Vince, and there then he is. would just go on and on. Right. right, right. <laughs> uh, I apologize, Bill, if you're listening to this. No, no, it's, we got to get doing gotta, it justice. You
0: know something? We have to get Bill on this. Oh, yeah, podcast, we really do.
1: It, it, yeah, he'll Bill's a
0: busy boy anymore. You know, he's he is.
1: Still, he's still at it. He, you can't stop him. Yeah, he's doing the uh, he's doing the conventions and he's traveling around. He's, he's going to England. He's all over the map. He's crazy. He's God bless him. I love him. So yeah. headlines. We get around a circle. Bill would come over with a with a fistful of folders, and it'd be okay. Bill, what do we have for what do we have for this issue coming up? Well, let's, let's wait. You know, before
0: you go there, let's backtrack. Yeah. Okay. How did he get the information in those folders? Answer: He was our concierge between the wrestling promotions, the photographers, yes, and us, the editorial yes. team. He would deliver the photos to us. As well as have the information on what's going on in each individual territory. Sometimes yep. I came up with it, sometimes you came up with it, but seventy five percent of that stuff was Bill Apter giving us the poop on what's going on. Am I exactly. right? Exactly. And wrong. even as we're
1: writing the stories, you you know you sort of reach a you, know, you come up against a, a a speed bump like oh you know is it okay for. This wrestler to say this or that or you know what's the hey hey Bill what's the story with so and so would it, is it okay if I have him say this or was okay if I Bill kept abreast of every angle in every promotion um, everywhere it was it was amazing and it really was yeah
0: uh, you, you know we got we never gave him the credit for that he he deserves a ton of credit where would we have been without him seriously Lost. it was nope. nobody like nobody like nah. him in the wrestling world I'm telling you nope. right now. You know, Absolutely. every other wrestling magazine had a headline like Hulk Hogan, what a guy. We we had <laughs> we had headlines that depicted the angles of the day. Right now, granted, we had a problem with that because here is another thing about wrestling magazine production back then. Probably five to six weeks after we sent the thing out for print, it would yep. hit the newsstand, and you'd have three angles in between. You know, if it, was a, if it was a multifaceted angle, it would have been old news sometimes by the time we hit the newsstand, right? You recall that coming Absolutely. back to bite us in and, the ass a lot.
1: And that was the hardest part. We're sitting around writing headlines. Um, you know, so Bill would pull out a folder of, I don't know, photos of Tommy Rich versus Buzz Sawyer. And, you know, maybe this is like the fifth time that they've wrestled and you know, this is a cage match. And maybe it's maybe it's the last time They're going around because after the series of matches that we have photos of, you know, Buzz is going on to the next angle and Tommy's going on to something else. But how do we, how do we make that fresh and interesting, even though both guys have gone on to the next steps in their respective storylines, how do we make that relevant to someone a month and a half from now? That was always the challenge in coming Mm -hmm. up with headlines. So we couldn't, we couldn't really be. Really, be newsy specifically. um We had to bring something more to the right. table. Maybe, and maybe point was... out the excessive
0: violence in a match. Maybe something personal between the two that could linger for a while. You know, you had right. to kind of exploit some little facet of it that may have come and gone. But you know, if it's a territory article, we could get away with it because maybe not everybody saw the matches. That was the beauty part. That, that was to our advantage when we were covering stuff that wasn't WWE. We could present stuff in a more newsworthy way, because not everybody could see it. They were learning about it through our magazines. Yeah, they didn't know if we were right or wrong. (laughs) They trusted us. (laughs) I still am not sure. (laughs) All right. So we know at at this point, headlines, we still haven't figured out how we came up with the headlines. Our headlines were better than other magazines. We had the best headline. I I do insist on that. Say what you want about the articles. I thought our headlines were the sizzle that sold the steak
1: and one of the things that was great about headline sessions was and to sort of fast forward a little bit virtually every story in every magazine we did started with the headline right that was it, it it's it, it's not like you know real journalism <laughs> <laughs> no where right, you write, right. Where you write the story and then the headlines comes last. But it's
0: definitely true. The first thing we did was the headlines. We did yeah, write the, the story first, first, the headline was first. Right. We wrote the story based on the headline.
1: Exactly. Based on the headline and the headline was based on the photos. And so the great thing about headline writing was we're all sitting, and it wasn't just the writers. I mean, the photographers, Jason Lavin was there as he was a photographer. He wasn't a writer, but he knew wrestling and he contributed. So anybody could contribute. No idea was off base. It's just throw it out there because even if you had a really stupid idea that was would never in a million years make it into the magazine, that idea might spark something else that mm-hmm. would make it into the magazine. So yeah. it was it was just from a purely creative perspective, it was just a, a wonderful process for getting to something that, you know, finally the headline would be blurted out. And people oh, yeah, that's pretty good. Okay, you know, yeah, we can can work with that. But that whole process of getting there was, sometimes it was easy, sometimes it took a long time. And and sometimes you have great photos of something that
0: wasn't really all that exciting on its face. Like he came up with, I remember Bill brought us photos from Texas, world-class champion at that point was Al Perez. And we're all going, Al Perez, what do we got to say about Al Perez? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sitting there going, oh, geez, I, even I don't know what to say about Al Perez. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I go, wait a minute, on the show, a couple guys are complaining that they're not getting title shots they think they deserve. Hmm. And it just comes to you and you go, right. the champion who isn't Al Perez fiddles while world-class burns. It just comes out of you. That was the headline. Boom. We used. I remember up. this. It's like it, so. You fashion an article about how he's not giving anybody title shots, or he's just hasn't been available. He's in another territory at the time. Create the angst amongst the other wrestlers, and shoot have a bunch of pictures of him beating up people. And you got a great article with a great hook to go with it. So, Bill, I just remember a, that one just popped into
1: my head. Bill, we don't have a great shot of Al Perez for the lead on this story. Can you call down to Texas and see if we can get a shot of him playing the violin? Yeah, <laughs> <Right. laughs> the shot of him fiddling. Um, <sighs> No, but that would work and you know we had a picture
0: of Al Perez with his hands and he was going, what, me worry? Yeah. You remember the picture? His <laughs> hands were but... like this. Yeah, he looked like Alfred e. Newman with the hand. What, me worry? <laughs> so he had this shit eating grin on his face and his hands out extended, like what did I do? Yeah, just like that. Yeah. Right. That's Al Perez, and like, gentlemen. You can't that's see right. him, but I swear he's here yeah, right now. That's
1: my Alfredy e. Newman Funko I'm showing Bob here that uh <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: Alright, so okay, so there's the headline sessions. And we came up with some beauties. I mean, when we Oh yeah. And they look good, uh, they look good on the covers. They were real sell headlines long before SEO,
1: folks. We could write hooky headlines. There's no question we about it. You sure that. could. You have any magazines there? I do have a few. I don't know. Mil Mascaris, this is the first PWI I worked on, December okay. eighty one. Um Mil Mascaris sadly reveals I must leave the WWF. Okay, okay why? Oh, see? That's the hook. Here's the Road Warriors on the cover of The Wrestler. Hey, Legion of Doom, go for the title or go away. More of an editorial. Okay. Sting wins the US. Well, we did a lot of stories of actual title changes here. Wrestling Superstars. Oh boy, here was... Now, here's one. Wrestling Superstars was a magazine that had sort of... Most magazines, I guess, had... Or five stories in them. Wrestling superstars really basically had two. Maybe one filler in there, but there were two really chunky ones. One was the Dream Match, and then the other was usually some sort of big section. The ten, in this case, the issue that I have here is wrestling's ten most overrated and underrated stars. So we've got, you know, Flair on the cover is being overrated, Ultimate Warrior being underrated, Nikita Koloff being overrated. And, uh, um, who is that? I can't even send it on the cover. Yeah. Oh, that was a little daring. So it would be like a, you know, a 15 page section of overrated. So basically there were page burners, right? That would chew up a lot of pages. Mm -hmm. It would be like a big section. So between the section and the dream match, that was, that was most of wrestling superstars. But I think we found out. By the way, you know who one of the underrated stars in this issue was? Who? Virgil i'll just leave that there of course
0: <laughs> no i i just um uh, you know what we found out folks and uh, craig was big this list actually worked yeah lists tend to do well to your ultimate dismay but yeah what? me why <laughs> i never felt that way the 500 oh that list wow good that God. list
1: <laughs> that's not
0: a list that's the list
1: but oh, yeah, well, well, every magazine did that, right? That's that wasn't what we were, we're to us. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I Rolling Stones top 100 albums of all time. You know, it's yeah, it's you know, hey, the experts are determining this, and it's a great thing to argue over and discuss. It's a great and thing to argue over. We, we used, used the Rolling Stone yeah. list.
0: I'm always complaining they leave people off those lists and people that are on the list. Jack White again? Yeah, t- I'm sorry, this is my editorial. just <laughs> my editorial point. Sorry, here. Jack. Yeah, t- t- no, I'm not sorry at all. Um, <laughs> but but it's um they work. Uh, I think they, they're yeah, they something too. everybody can join in on and, and have a, an
1: opinion about. And that, yep. that kind of works for everybody. So yeah, so we do the headlines, and the other thing we need to take into account, in addition to what you mentioned earlier, Bob, was you know, how's the story gonna play a month and a half from now when it hits the newsstands? or two and a half months from now when it's still on the newsstands before the next issue hits, right. um, is the balance of territories in the magazine. And this mm-hmm. was, this back in the uh, early mid 80s, this was more of a concern, right? So you had to have your one or two WWF stories one or two nwa stories and let's get an awa story in there let's get a world-class story in there let's let's Memphis. make sure things are balanced yeah. we don't want it too top heavy to one federation or another mm-hmm. and sometimes that was hard to do but uh
0: well you know it, it was it was tough uh especially you know we knew who sold on the cover and for the longest time it was hogan Right. And I mean, I'm sure there were times when you put out three magazines in two weeks and two of them had Hogan on the cover. Absolutely. And, you know, you do that for months and months and months. And I got news, and- if it was if it was PWI and the wrestling, the third one was Sports Review. I hate to say it, the NWA guy was on Sports Review. Yeah. I just, that's <laughs> yep. the way it went. It was like the lost leader of the cover in that mm-hmm. regard. And and not, we're not putting anybody down from the NWA. I, I There's one name that I'm thinking of that I'm not going to say. You know who it is, but um, if I say NWA, what wh- who do you think of?
1: Who do I think of? Yeah, you say NWA. NWA. I think of two guys actually, right off the all bat. Right, all right, who?
0: Flair and Race. There you go. All right, but Race never sold magazines. No, no, but Rick Flair did. Yeah, absolutely. So if it wasn't Hogan, it was race. Right. Or excuse yeah. me, flair. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> but, you know, th- uh. but
1: then the other thing too is, you know, like you say, Hogan, Hogan sold. So now, you know, it's 83, 84, 85, 86. Hogan's on top. He's all you know, on top. So now headlines. Okay, here's, you know, inside wrestling. Here's the four hundred and eighty-seventh Hulk Hogan story that we have to come up with a headline for. The pictures are, I don't know. Hogan versus earthquake. Yeah. Yeah. Like Like, what the, what are we going to do? What are we going to say?
0: I was just talking on another podcast about it. (laughs) I'm sitting down going to write a
1: Hulk Hogan article. What am I going to say about him now? It was like, it was like, what do you do? What can you do that you haven't done 87 times already before? Yeah. because you know,
0: his programs were all the same. Somebody would hurt him somewhere along the line.
1: Right. Somebody would like, you
0: know, earthquake smashed him on TV. Ooh, I'm gonna get you with the vitamins and whatever. <laughs> how many times? How many times can you go back to that well and and write about that? It was really hard with Hogan with me. That's why it I like to, that's why I like to cover cover the original <laughs> Midnight Express. I, I knew I could say new fresh things about them. You know, or if I wanted to write about uh, you know, big bully Busick or somebody, at least it was somebody different.
1: It was, it was a creative challenge. It was, you know... It really okay, was. Okay, what are we going to do? That's And yeah, that, that but, but 33rd headline had to sound as fresh as the first. But if we can go back to the covers, I, I'm watching people, all of
0: our friends online. Bless all of you. You, you make my day every time you put a GC London magazine as a tweet or a Facebook post. I love it. I know Craig Oh, does, me too.
1: So. Oh, I do. I do. But I see I'm looking, that stuff on Twitter. It just makes my day. All right.
0: So today I'm scrolling. Just recently I like flare. flare. Hogan, Ultimate Warriors on that one. Tito Santana. I'm trying to figure out how Santana (laughs) snuck in there. You know, he was always popular. Don't get me wrong, but I I think he got a title shot against somebody, Arn Sheik or somebody, and he made the cover. Yeah, of of Insider or or one of those magazines. And I'm like, wow, they put Tito Santana as the main, main
1: image. The main shot, not the one up in the corner. No,
0: the main shot, yeah. Okay, that's, that's Another time, good. Tony Guerrilla. Tony Guerrilla with Graham had him in an arm bar at a match I oh, was yeah. actually at in Albany before I worked for you guys. Tony Guerrilla got his cover. Holy crap Of course, mackerel. he was screaming in pain, but he was on
1: the cover, main focus. Well, you know, it was a big honking deal when Jerry Lawler got his PWI cover. And I still remember that photo, the orange background. Yeah. Um, That was, I think, the first time that, uh, PWI cover featured somebody who, uh, and um, Jerry's Jerry was awesome. But you know, back when he was on the cover, he was still Memphis. Memphis right. didn't have the national right. Uh, and this wasn't an AWA champion Jerry. This was long before that, right? Right, right. Yeah, so that was taking a chance. It really was taking a chance, and I forget the headline we had on there that you know really helped sell it. But it was, I think, it was the first time we really deviated with PWI and said, all right, let's let's give something a shot here.
0: You know, I remember when he did win that AWA belt and he combined it with whatever the other belt was. I don't know if it was the CWA, USWA, or World Class, whatever the hell it was. But there was a time when he was going to Continental and he was working in Memphis and he was working mm-hmm. other indies here in the East. And I put him in the ratings as number one. And mm-hmm. I thought the roof was going to collapse. Because <laughs> you still had Flair and WCW. Right. I don't know if it was Hogan or maybe Ultimate War And Lawler is number one. Are you kidding? And I yeah. remember the mail we got was like, "How can Lawler be number one? I, I never see him." Never...
1: But well we'll, we'll we'll talk much more about the ratings in a, in a few minutes.
0: We we kind of yeah. weighed it, you know. So okay, we'll get into the ratings in a little bit.
1: So <laughs> so okay, so we so we've got our plan sheet. We've got our headlines. We've got our photos. Mm-hmm. Hey, Bill, these photos stink. I need a couple more to add to them. Whatever. Um, Bill would pull some color photos for the cover. Mm-hmm. Well, we'd also decide who's going to be on the cover, right? As right, a result right, of, you right? Know, like we just talked some, about. Yeah, sometimes it was obvious, but you know, sometimes there was some discussion. Ken Morgan, who you quite appropriately gave uh, credit to last time I was on, um, boy, was he terrific! You know, I, he could. I, I, I can't emphasize enough. Boy, how he could shine he a turd.
0: How easy! know <laughs> how easy he he made our jobs. Yeah, he was so good that you could. We didn't even discuss these articles with him, and every time the tone was correct, the font was correct, the style yep. was correct, the placement on the covers were correct. We never had to think about it twice. He was a magician. Yeah, he was he the take- unsung star of all those years of the wrestling magazines.
1: And I actually have a copy of The Wrestler here, which I think is, is pretty awesome. The headline is Roddy Piper's exclusive analysis, Flair versus Hogan. Who will win the match of the century? And so you've got a, a photo of Hogan leg dropping Flair, but then in the background, in in just sort of like a red and black background, you have uh, Piper overlooking um, the leg drop. It's just a beautiful cover. That, I always love these beauty. sort of, I always love those. He, sort here's of the things. Question, and that's, though, that's pure Ken Morgan right there.
0: But here's the question if he's predicting the match of the century,
1: was that a composite photo? That was a composite photo. That would have been that would Hogan leg-dropping, who who the hell knows. And then, you know, flare on his back. We had a few shots of those. We'd never know in it. In the files. But yeah, it looks like the actual match, which at that time, that's a hell of a cover. That really was. And that's, that's all beautiful. Ken Morgan. That's all Ken Morgan. I mean, he I really... Should... Folk... Well, I'm going to have to start a YouTube version of this because you guys are missing a beautiful cover there. You
0: really are. Yeah,
1: it's... Eh, it out of your file, somebody's got it out there. December 1991 The Wrestler. I was there, it's a, it's a good one. You know, I'll, I'll scan that in and we can uh pop that one on social media for yes, that's the one we're promoting this, yeah, at yeah, absolutely the podcast. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so we'd come up with the cover. Um, Ken Morgan was hugely instrumental in that. He could take, like in that example, you know, three photos unrelated and make a terrific cover out of it. Um, he was.
0: I, I, again, yeah. I, I can't overemphasize. The more I think about it, I've never had an art director like that. You could just hand him a pile of stuff, not yeah. even explain what the stuff was about. He would look it over, figure it out, and bang. And he was quick, too. It's you know, it it was, like we had to wait for this was super quick. And never and missed it, a deadline, ever, ever, ever. Ever, ever, which, and, yeah, uh, I've, I've said uh, and that many times over the years. That's so the proudest a thing. Let's give shout out to the other guys by name. Um. Yes. Can you name a lot of the art guys that were there in your tenure? Or Charlie Foster. Charlie Foster. Charlie right.
1: Foster. oh he he looked like a cross between. Uh, um. Oh, who's? Oh, God. Who's? Who's the guy that at the at the Oscars that did the one arm push ups? He was in the Jack Palance. He was, was. Yeah. He looked like a young Jack Palance. Um. Yeah, kind he of. He was funny as hell. He was. He had funny. a dry sense of humor. Right. Boy, he was great. Um, yeah, he worked for Stanley. He worked for a bunch of men's magazines, mm-hmm. um, what they call, uh, famously call the men's sweat magazines. Yes. You know, men, men's adventure and gritty, you know, those. gritty yeah. Pulpy magazines. Yeah. Yeah. The real pulpy stuff. So he, mm-hmm. in fact. Well, I, he was there, he <laughs> was there back when Stanley was doing Western magazines. And yes. who right. Western and detective. Yep. Right. Yeah. And I, I once remember, uh, early game console system in television. Sure. I had one. I had one too, but then I traded it to Charlie and he gave me a couple of paintings that were used on the covers of the Men's Sweat magazines. So <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> I still have one, which is... Uh, you got the better of that deal, boy. That was great. So it was Charlie Foster, Then you had Stu's uh, Stu's wife, Darlene. I who was in the I, art department. I, I never knew that. Yes. I never Stu- knew that. You never knew that uh, they were a thing? Swear to God, never heard of that before. Yeah. So Darlene Sachs, she worked with uh, right her... her uh, Station was right next to Ken. Then you had Joe Kalman. Joe Kalman, that's right. Yep. Um, who did layouts. He made the move to Pennsylvania. He made us. the
0: move. I was supposed to yes. say that, yeah.
1: Um, there uh, were Frank. Frank Marano. Or
0: as we used to call him, Yankee Man. <laughs> Yankee Man? Well, we called him Yankee Man because for some reason he would bring a sandwich in every day and it was wrapped in aluminum foil and it would get bigger and bigger until it was like a softball on his desk and one day the cleaning lady comes in and goes, "Ooh, you yankee man." <laughs> and it's stuck. He used to so somebody okay. somebody somebody gave one of those business placards, you know, that you would see the boss have right. in front of his desk with the name and it just said "Yankee Man." With y- the- <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Frank, Frank was really funny. Frank was had the unbelievable dry. He was the boxing. He was the uh, art department. Steve Farhood. He had a dry sense of humor and could just fracture you at a moment's notice. And, Very funny man well, and a good, kind of... good,
1: good layout guy too. Um, we had a guy who was. He didn't. Lay, he wasn't there long, and he didn't make the move to Pennsylvania. Don Rodriguez. Oh, Don. Yeah. Remember Don? Yeah. Um, and then, of course, we had our uh, production production manager. What was he? Carl Lavick? Was our, well, his actual title um, was chief of production. And we used to call him chef of production. <laughs> but Carl <laughs> And did, did I tell, I think I told this story in the last episode of the greatest practical joke I ever saw, which was Stu and Darlene um, playing a joke on Carl Lavick. Did I tell that story last time? No. Oh, I, I said, again, th- I, this all ties into the production of the magazines because this is the sort of thing we would do to sort of keep up the atmosphere in the office that, uh, you know, we, we worked hard and we played hard. So um, I'm pretty sure you were there for this. This was, this was a time when lottery fever really started gripping New York. It was one of the first mega multi-million dollar jackpots in New York lottery history. And Karlovic got lotto fever in a big way. He's running around the office. Oh, he going to be a multimillionaire. He's like trying to get people. You, know, you want to buy tickets with me? You want to buy t- let's let's pull our money. Let's buy no, a bunch of tickets. Office t- pool he was, time, right? right. Uh, office, he was he he was all in on the whole lottery thing. So imagine that the lottery drawing, I don't remember which day it was, but let's say for the sake of the story, it was the drawing was done on a Wednesday. Okay. So um He's selling shares, you know, it's 50 cents a ticket. You know, give me a nickel. I'll give you 10% of the ticket. Yeah, he was just, he wanted everybody in. So, oh, this lottery fever. So Wednesday, everyone goes home from work and they draw the numbers Wednesday night for the bazillion dollar prize. Thursday morning on the way into work, Stu and Darlene stop off at a convenience store and they buy a lottery ticket. Now, the ticket they buy, of course, is for next week's drawing. Mm -hmm. But the numbers that they buy are the previous night's winning numbers. Got it? Yeah. So now they get into the office and it's the morning and everyone's having their butter rolls and their coffee. And um, Carl is sitting there at his desk like, and I should add, by the way, that when you see pictures of Matt Brock in the magazine, that was Carl. (laughs) Oh, God.
0: You just let it right out of the bag right there. I I thought it was Brian R. Solomon. <laughs> so, Carl's like, ah, uh, uh, guys, go on Twitter.
1: You'll know what we're talking about. That's right. Go ahead. I'm so, sorry. So, so, Carl's. Ah, I didn't win the lottery. Ah, there's I, somebody else, but I don't know. I didn't win any money. Right? He's, he's he's griping and grumbling about not winning anything in this in this mega millions lotto fever. And Darlene plays dumb, and she played it perfectly. You know, Carl. You know, I I bought a ticket yesterday. And I don't really know how this whole lottery thing works. Can, can you check the ticket for me? I don't really know how to how to do this. So, All right, yeah, give me the ticket. So he gets Darlene's ticket, and he's looking at the newspaper, and he's checking the numbers. And he's like, oh, you, look, you got one number. All right, that's something. Let's see. Oh, look at that. You got two numbers. Oh, three numbers. Well, now, of course, he's not checking the date on the ticket. He's just checking right, of the numbers. Right, he right. sees he sees six out of six, and he goes out of his mind. Stu, I can't believe it. She won the lot. He's running around the office. I can't believe. It. He uh, and the plan was for Stu to look at the ticket and go, Ah, Carl, you're full of crap, and tear the ticket in half. But <laughs> Carl was so. T- I mean. He was so taken, like literally all the blood washed out of his face. We had white wallpaper in the office and he was the same color as the wallpaper. He, he for like that minute and a half, he absolutely believed that Stu and Darlene had won the hundred million dollars or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we had to let him down easy because he probably literally would have had a heart attack had Stu torn that ticket in half. But it was great. I never saw a prank work better in my life.
0: Oh my gosh. It's almost cruel, guys. It's almost cruel.
1: <laughs> but you know, yeah, so, it's a little little edge you have to, you know,
0: dance on that tightrope a little bit. But that yeah, so that, one. Was,
1: that was So a yeah, one. so Carl's Carl station was in the art department. So him and him and Ken Morgan would, you know, sort of butt heads once in a while, but uh Yeah. You know, they were good, but, but you you
0: know, yeah. No, they so they, they, that that department ran so seamlessly most of the time. It yeah, was, it really did.
1: Really and did. like you said earlier, we we never missed a deadline, which given the Not volume, even close. Yeah. And we we'd have
0: power failures and other problems, and you know, we'd still somehow make our deadlines, even with the yep. with the workload we had. So you know, why, our- you know why we never missed a deadline because we wanted to be on time. We all felt the same. Yeah. Yeah. I've been in with other publishing people. Well, we missed it though, so we'll do it next week. Oh uh, seriously, yeah. bigger companies than than London was. And I'm like, right. You gotta be kidding me. Yeah, we took a lot of progress. you fall in behind? No, you don't fall behind. Yeah, in fact, got one four of the magazines. one of the magazines I worked for after I left London, I caught up five months in three weeks. They were five months behind. I caught them up in three weeks. Wow. Well,
1: wow, because uh, yeah. you, you, you had the work ethic of London.
0: No, I sat down and did the whole books. I knew how to do a whole book <laughs> at that point. No, seriously. Well, I, I have done entire magazines in my career, entire magazines mm-hmm. from soup to nuts, including ad placements. I have written right. every story everything except the photos. I have done it so often I can't even put it. And thanks to London. Yeah. Well thanks we couldn't fall
1: behind because we had four more magazines next week. That's exactly right.
0: <laughs> Not to mention Fantasy Baseball Weekly and PWI Weekly
1: and right. you know, you know, Colored Socks Weekly. We we did it all, folks. <laughs> yes, we did. <laughs> so so we had our we had our cover, we had our layout sheet, we had our stories, our headlines were written. Now it was time to sit down and actually write the stuff. Right. Um, and the, the, the memories that I have of writing stuff. So I, I started out writing on typewriters, which was interesting, but you know, we didn't, we didn't know computers, kids back in those days, got off my lawn. Um, so yeah, you'd, you know, you'd bang the thing out on a typewriter, uh, three pages, double spaced, hand it over to Peter King or later Stu Sachs, who would, uh, edit it with a pen um, and maybe you'd have to go back and retype it. Usually it was just a couple of corrections here and there. Um, But then that corrected three pages of typewriter story would go to um, I'm trying to remember her Carol Buck sat in the back of the office in Freeport all the way in the back corner. I mean nobody (laughs) She didn't talk to anybody. Nobody talked to her except to walk over and hand her three more pages of stuff that she had to retype into a typesetting machine. Oh, my gosh. And the typesetting machine would spit out long columns of type. That I remember. And you'd have to cut them down and mm-hmm. feed them through a waxer so the back of the type had wax on it and it would be pasted down on artboards. Yes. And and and
0: I have done those things in my early career. All oldest
1: of old school. It was the oldest of old school Copy graphic, the production. smell of that fixer. And right,
0: was, the graphic fixer smell.
1: Yep, yep. And then every once in a while, uh, yeah, it was actually, it had the same smell as uh, Polaroid pictures
0: Yes, very similar. As yes. I recall. It was that mm-hmm. same
1: sort of chemical, right. yeah. whatever. And uh, yeah. And so the art department would be fed these long strips of type, and they'd have to lay them out on art boards and leave spaces for photos. Um, Carol would have to retype headlines and larger font to be pasted down onto the art boards. And sometimes stories would be an inch too short or an inch too long. So we'd have to go in and either write another paragraph to add to the story or cut out a few sentences to make it fit. Yeah, it was a real- I am glad I joined when I did. It was real manual work. So now when you came along, we were using a system called Atex, A-T-E-X, which Mm -hmm. at that time was state-of-the-art. Newsweek actually was using the system, and Stanley Weston made an investment of nearly $200,000- um, to bring London Publishing into the state of the art, which in those days was very, very impressive.
0: I am kind of shocked sometimes that he didn't invest in a pagination machine back in those days where you could assemble a page and the text in one fell swoop. Right. Um, yeah, maybe, I wonder... You know, you know what? The, probably the printer was not technolo- technologically capable of doing it at that point. Pagination machines by the time even by the time I got to PWI right. were still a pretty new thing. I happened to work in a newspaper that
1: had one. You cannot believe how much time it saved. It was crazy. And and you were saying earlier before before we got on air, um you, because you live close to the office, actually did a little bit of babysitting for the ATEX system. So like I dis- was I was describe daddy, what yes. that was like. Like if yes. people remember floppy disks.
0: Well, this was uh, uh, imagine a 20 pound giant butterscotch disc <laughs> for lack of a better term. It kind of looked like a big honk and and with a big crank on the top of it. You yeah. Would have to, you, we would take the disc out every night, put the machine to sleep, and in the morning I'd have to come in and put the thing back in, take the crank out of it, pull the crank out, close the machine and turn it on. And this thing's was were our like that was our computer back. That was
1: our uh server. Yeah, it was like two foot, a foot and a half maybe wide. Yeah. two feet yeah. wide.
0: Yeah, it was big. It was like like a platter. It looked like a oh, delicious yeah. Shoprite, um <laughs> Coke cup platter coming your yeah. way, but it wasn't. It was, it was <laughs> yeah, with, with the cake with the, the cake, cake up, dish yeah, in the middle, yeah. on top. right. Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, but but um, yeah, it was. Um, I, and as I look back at it, I wonder if removing it was the right thing to do each night. I I, I question it now. Knowing what I know about disc now, but who knows? That might have been the exact right thing to do. But I since guess. I lived close, I was elected. <laughs> would you take, you know, would you, you know, take this out at night and when you come in the morning, when you put it in, I go sure because I was right around the corner. Once I moved near there, I, right. I could easily do that, so I didn't mind at all. And it, was it was a easy. special
1: refrigerated room. Yep, that's right. Yep. Yeah, and oh boy, if there was a power failure, oh gosh, panic would set in.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Oh, gosh. Yeah. It I, was the, a, I
1: don't think I was ever there for power failure. I'm glad I wasn't. It, that would the have been ju- Jurassic era of computers. Yeah. I remember being trained on the ATEX system, and the guy that came in and trained us taught us some sort of keyboard trick. Like instead of doing this thing in three keyboard clicks, you could do it in one keyboard click. And I remember thinking, yeah, like that's going to make a difference. I think of that so often through <laughs> the <laughs> the years yeah. every time you're typing something like yeah well, you know, it actually does I, make a difference i will
0: say this atex was the uh stone mallet of word processing programs it, it was so archaic and so
1: oh it really was
0: it, it was like first generation word processing and it, it was make sure you save your work because it'll disappear if you don't i'll tell you that right now and you had to make a copy of everything you did or you were screwed I, I mean it was and now it's so much oh god it's I think back at what we all did back then just to get the workaday stuff done. It was much harder than it is now. There's no oh, question yeah. about that. It was, I mean, it was you, you big... could you could you could buy a hundred ninety-nine dollar Chromebook and have all the ingredients you need to start word processing in a proper way now. I can't yep. imagine what the job would have been like with modern modern laptops. Oh
1: we could have put out ten magazines a month. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it was a big, it was a big black screen. Maybe it was yes. I don't know, white type, right. green type, as I recall. That's right,
0: green, green or green, green machine or white like
1: type. type. Yeah, it was. It was. Ugh, it was ancient. Um, but yeah, that that was the ATEX system. But boy, did I type a lot of words! Holy smokes!
0: I know you did too. We all did. But I, I was, I was nothing if not prolific. I, I was, wow. wow. I used we were talking last time. What's your record for a week of stories? Yeah.
1: I know I did twenty, twenty-two one one month. Yeah, I know my record was six in one day. But yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. We sometimes we had to, folks. I mean, it was just the workload got to be a little insane at one point or two, and then and, and then they shoved a weekly newsletter on top of everything, <laughs> and then we did. So, and we forgot this the last time we talked fantasy baseball weekly.
1: So you know. Th- we often talk about how many stories we wrote, but you know, there's also the magazines were more were more than stories. There were columns. Everyone had their okay. own column, and your column was um, what was it called?
0: I had two. The uh, PWI was the revival of the Steel Cage, which was somebody else's. The Steel Cage, right. That. And
1: then in the Wrestler in Wrestler, you had it something was Blindsided. Blindsided. Right? And right. Blindsided, I liked a lot because it reminded me kind of of Larry King's column in USA Today. Really? It was just a lot of little, it wasn't like one story for the whole column. It was like, yeah, each, I would. Each, Each paragraph random was like little random, yeah, little random stuff. Throw it out mm-hmm. there, like, I, you know. I, I, strawberries are great in season this year. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't. But you,
0: you know, I kind of, I think I copped that from somebody, but it wasn't Larry King. It was some some other New York based newspaper guy that I copped the whole idea from. They were some of them were one theme, but I did a lot of them that were just like, why Why are the laces on Greg Valentine's boots so long? You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, stuff like that.
1: And then, of course, we had the letters columns had to be done. Right. And that was, and that was not um, – actually, those were harder than stories sometimes because you had to use well, real letters. Well, we, <laughs> we had to use real letters. Yeah. For the most part. Yeah. So, you know, you go through all the letters and
0: I, – I remember I tried to sneak one in on – I tried to sneak one in on Stu once and he looked – I remember him looking up from his machine – Mitsubishi Fuso? Mitsubishi Fuso. What? I remember that. <laughs> yeah, because I, I, I knew he. I he wasn't gonna.
1: It wasn't gonna. I, I remember that exactly because there was a truck that was always parked like <laughs> right. down the down the block from the office. The front <laughs> of the truck said Mitsubishi Fuso. <laughs> Sounds so like a correspondent for a yeah, correspondent uh, report.
0: I don't even know what it means to this day, but Mitsubishi in any, in any Fuso. event, um, <laughs> I, I I knew I was trying to get a laugh out of him. He didn't think it was funny at all. No, so it wasn't demerit for me.
1: There
0: you go. <laughs> two tries you're getting old there kid. Uh, you're outdated you, you know
1: that, that's why i'm on this podcast that's right so yeah so you had your columns you had letters that needed to be done then there was what, all were this- your, what was your column names i don't remember my column in pwi was called in focus that's right and that is right inside wrestling was on the road y- on the road yes which i took over from gary morgenstein right so yeah it was on the road and actually, on the road, I don't think I told this story last time. Did I tell the uh, um, the Uncle Floyd story last oh. time? Okay. So, quick story about uh, one of my early Inside Wrestling columns on the road. Um, Uncle Floyd, if you grew up in the uh, New York, New Jersey area, was a tremendous kids show host. Uh, pork pie, hat wearing, piano playing, Floyd Vivino brother of uh, Jimmy Vivino. Jimmy Vivino, ex- ex- Exactly. Exactly. And They're all great musicians everybody in the family. Exactly. And plugged into the music scene and loved pro wrestling. Um he had the Uncle Floyd show on channel 97 or whatever it was on New right, Jersey right, TV. Right. The right. lowest budget TV show you ever wanted to see. But it when was it great. was
0: on, it was hilarious. When it was on, when he, oh, he caught
1: was, the right note, he was the funniest thing on TV. It was so good. It was so good. And he had real musical guests. I, I think the Ramones were on his show yes. at one point. And, and Larry Zabisco was on his show. And, and was RBQ. And RBQ was show. on. Yes, right. several times, I believe. Mm-hmm. And so Larry Zbysko was on his show. And so Uncle Floyd's, one of Uncle Floyd's gimmicks, was in addition to playing the piano, he would sit at the desk and add a hand puppet called Oogie. Yes.
0: Remember
1: Oogie? Oogie was his hand yes.
0: puppet. Yes. Yes, I do.
1: <laughs> so and you he see just, the
0: price of gas these days, it's a scandal. <laughs>
1: <laughs> God yeah, on Route Nine, there's a there's one station on Route, I, they would just like yes, lib yeah. for 20 minutes and it was mm-hmm. it was hilarious. But I God, I loved Uncle Floyd show. So Larry Zbysko was on one. So I wrote this column where Larry Zabisco was at the Uncle Floyd show and got into some sort of altercation or got angry at something Floyd said. And this didn't happen. This was just for the sake of the column and tore the studio apart. Okay. So in the column, I go to the Uncle Floyd show to follow up and find out what Zbysko did not get the story. Well, Uncle Floyd's not there, but Oogie is there. <laughs> <laughs> right? This is, a, this is like talking to Senior once's hand yeah, without I, senior oh. Wences being there. So so I interview Oogie. <laughs> Which makes no sense whatsoever, right? Because right. he's it's Uncle Floyd's house. But Uncle Floyd isn't there. Oogie is there. I talk to oogie I write the column. He tells me about Sabisco the whole bit, blah blah blah. So magazine comes out a couple of weeks later. I'm actually uh I'm still living at my folks' house. I hadn't even gotten my apartment yet. I just Again, this is one of the very first columns I wrote. And um, I'm coming out of the shower and my mom says, there's a phone call for you. Somebody named Floyd. I was like, what? He tracked me down, tracked down my address and phone number, gave me a call to tell me that he loved the column. Oh, and that's great. it was one of the greatest things he read. He was just loved it, was entertained by it, and the whole bit. Yeah, so uh, that's that's awesome. But just, but just the absurdity of yeah, it's like you know, Paul Winchell isn't there, but I'm going to interview Charlie McCarthy, Charlie Mahoney, yeah, right. <laughs> or Charlie Mahoney. To Charlie yeah, Mahoney yeah. Correct,
0: yeah, that was. I, just, will, I will say this of Uncle Floyd: late in his career, Channel Four picked up his show. Channel Channel Four, the big NBC, NBC really? state, yeah, about one in the morning after Tom Snyder or whatever it was. Okay. And he did a sketch. I know it was a revival of an old sketch, it was simply him making a sandwich. Okay. And he cuts the ham, and the ham goes, ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> And he and he slices the ah, bread. Ah, you hear these voices. And he sets the tomato, Ooh, ooh. And here comes the mustard. Bloop, bloop. And then he puts it all into sandwich form, takes a bite, and you hear about eight people screaming. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> which to this day is one of the five funniest things I've ever seen. I will pay $50 for anyone with a videotape of that. I am telling you. Wow. Is it funny? Holy smokes. When, when he was on, he was
1: super funny. Oh, uh, he was great.
0: He was a hell of a piano player. Yes. Oh, Barrelhouse, Barrelhouse McGee boy. He was the best. Yep.
1: yep. Boy, he right, was where, terrific. where were we? So yeah. So we're talking about <laughs> columns, uh, yeah. On the road and, uh,
0: columns, letters, uh, ratings, columns,
1: letters, yeah, so there was other stuff too. There were these columns like um, X-ray in the Wrestler. Remember that one? Right. That was where you like you take a uh, a wrestler. There'd be a, uh, almost a full page shot of match action, and then six guys would talk about that wrestler. You know, yeah. Captain Lou, Killer Kowalski, Dory Funk Jr., Jim Ross, Luther I remember. Ariane. I remember.
0: I remember Gersh has writing one of those. I think it was Road Warrior Hawk, and he had. I think when he first started, you made the point that everybody he wrote uh, quotes for sounded like Gersh. Yeah. In other, in other it, words, it did. He'd, ha- he'd have, somebody would say something to Rogue Warrior Hawk and Hawk would go, oh, come now, which just doesn't, <laughs> just doesn't fit the character of, you know, just was the right guy to say, oh, come I, now. So
1: I wish this was a YouTube podcast because somewhere I have Gersh's, um, uh, interview interview tape video interview tape Yeah, yes he sent us a vhs tape that was a tour of his apartment and showing us like the bagels in his freezer that his mother bought for him and you know can i please have the job so i can move out of my parents basement (laughs) (laughs) it was great it was pure Uh, he he was a very
0: funny guy he really was nice guy i'm glad he had found the success i don't know what he's doing right now though that's the weird part I want to say he's still with the Brooklyn paper, but I'm not 100% sure about that. Yeah, I'm not sure. I just haven't seen his name anywhere in a long time. So here's to you, Gersh, wherever you are, buddy. Indeed. Great working with you.
1: Um, So one of the very last things, if it was PW, well, okay. So one of the very last things in any magazine was Bill's column. Right. Right. Because that was always the latest breaking news up to up to press time, again, six six weeks old by the time you get it off the stands, but the latest that we had. Um, and yeah, Bill didn't always write his column. But you know what? But, In a way, he did. He, he did. No,
0: here's just the thing. He would present us with the scenarios. Yes. In Portland, Owen Hart got beat up by Maka Singh, and he let us know that. Right. In Memphis, uh, Bill Dundee ran over... Gary Lawley's dog, whatever it was, you know, whatever was going <laughs> on, whatever. <laughs> I'm sorry. Whatever the angle, I know, no ASPCA member here, please. But, but you know what I mean? He would come with us to us right. with all these scenarios and we would, we would flesh them out. We would say when they happen, just like, a, like a news article, really. Yeah. Uh, yep. a, a stream of consciousness news column is what Bill's columns were. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, and, so that was. And, and until next time, we'll see you at the matches. At the matches, right. And so that was the typically the next to last thing that was written Mm -hmm. and then in pwi we had something called the wrestling inquirer remember that i think so that was like a two yeah here's oh at the the end yeah right
0: yeah it looked like the national inquirer
1: right it was like a two-page um like news that happened after bill's column like and laid, was,
0: out, laid out like a front page of a newspaper. When you, right. when you lifted the magazine, yeah, not yeah, horizontally the but vertically, it, you would see these two pages and read them like the New York Times.
1: Right, and that was the stuff that happened after Bill's column was written. That was really the latest of the late breaking news. You know, we should mm-hmm. actually back up a little bit because there's one other thing, particularly in PWI, um, that had to be written every month, and sometimes it was easy, and that was the for the centerfold.
0: Oh, I thought those magazine. were easy. Yeah. I thought those were easy most of the yeah, time. Yeah, there was there was the bio. Well, it depended who it was, right? Well, it was the driest thing we wrote. It was strictly meat and potatoes, facts and figures, and yeah. 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 It was good. It was sort of the yeah, their
1: their career in, you know, born and, and, and blah blah, yeah, blah blah. And the close
0: up was kind of like their favorite hold
1: and you know, all
0: that yeah, kind exactly. of thing, right?
1: Yeah, it was uh how their finisher or... favorite hold, most hated opponent, greatest match, toughest opponent. Right, right. So yeah, we do all that stuff. And then, you
0: know, uh, you know uh, let
1: me back up. What yes. we were talking
0: about—that surrounded the centerfold,
1: right? That the, was on each side of the centerfold, right? Exactly. Yeah. The uh, um, the close up, which was the bio.
0: And I was talking to uh, right. Rick Del Santo of the uh, PwC podcast and explaining one advantage we, another advantage we had with Bill Apter is everybody knows at this point that the WWF cut us out of their ringside photography area they wouldn't let us into the matches anymore for a right. long time but bill had this way of catching up with stars while they were in another territory about to enter the wwf or about to leave or vice versa yep. so we could have a picture in the centerfold of billy jack haynes even though he was a star in the wwf but nobody has to know it was taken in portland or jake the snake roberts when he was with the uh, uwf right you see what i'm saying We had such an advantage in Bill in that he had a giant dossier. People would come to our studio in Rockville Center and pose for photos. We didn't even know when we were going to use them, but they eventually, they all got used. With the exception of the Metal Maniac, but that's another story.
1: (laughs) Even (laughs) if it was just a face shot for a column, we would have those. No, the Metal
0: Maniac got used. I'm sorry, buddy. You're out there somewhere. I know you are. (laughs) Uh, but, But... Everything got used. Some centerfolds, but sometimes you'd have a Sergeant Slaughter come in and he had taken studio shots of him at Kutcher's or something. (laughs) Right. Right. At Kutcher Mania, you know. And we had the shot of him and we could use him on the cover and say WWE explodes with whoever the new star is, Mm -hmm. even though
1: it was taken at a previous job site, which is a wonderful thing. Yep. And I remember one time, because, you know, Hogan was so huge, and we had just burned out all of our Hogan photo material.
0: AWA stuff, yeah.
1: the Yeah, the AWA stuff, and, the, you know, the stuff that we took from the stands and whatever else. We actually commissioned an artist to do yes, remember an illustration the of Hogan, America's mm-hmm. Hero. That's right. Yep. So yep. we had we even got into illustrated covers. So That was a nice one, too. That, that was beautiful. It was a nice uh, one, yeah. With the big flag behind him. Yeah.
0: It was, we were you're right, we were running out of hogan material as much of it as we had it just wasn't we used up the cover worthy hogan material, we had a ton of right. material, but you know that you had the rope problem where we were sneaking our subway sandwich sandwich bags into the garden, you know <laughs> four hundred millimeter lenses, and right. you'd he'd be doing his muscle pose, but you'd he'd be cut off at the boobies because you know right we we were Shooting from the
1: 300 seats. And we didn't have the Photoshop skills to get those ropes out of there yet. That's right.
0: Oh, gosh. Pre-Photoshop, gang. Can you imagine?
1: Yeah. Pre-Photoshop. Pre-word processing. (laughs) Pre-everything. So Um, then we have a magazine, pretty much. But the last thing we put together, the ratings. My job. ratings for at
0: least five years there.
1: The ratings.
0: My favorite job there too. Really? Yes. My easily my favorite thing to do. Easily. Not even close.
1: What's interesting is if I look at the ratings from say 19, here's December 81 PWI. 81. 81. We only had six categories WWF, NWA, AWA, tag teams, most popular, most hated. And it was just names. Right. Now, fast forward. It got more fancy schmancy after a while. Yeah, fast forward about 10 years, you've got the top 10, you've got tag teams, most popular, most hated, WCW, WWF, Global, USWA, USA, IWCCW, Mm -hmm. ECW, ICWA, IWF, PWA, PWF, SAPW, SMW, WIN, WWC, and then we did something called Cumulative Ratings which got real sort of data nerdy where we would uh, assign point values in the top 10 singles and tag teams and do cumulative ratings for the last five issues. And then the highest sort of, it was sort of like a trend right. line as opposed to just the individual issue. Right. So they became very complex and we would do things like uh, we'd have the titles, we'd have what they were ranked last issue you wait hometown now which which um, magazine are you looking all, at right there i'm looking That's at a wrestling i'm looking at wrestling superstars yeah now, I, I think mean, there was just in, a ton of information and
0: in i there. think pwi also had oh we even had indianapolis if i remember correctly the wwa great wojo and all that stuff i believe yes.
1: i think we had a couple of revolving categories yeah yeah um so i remember
0: i remember putting that together and and uh it was always the great wojo was the champion every issue it didn't matter (laughs) what was going on he was their perennial champion there
1: yeah and he's looking at Wrestle America now fans yeah Wrestle America was an interesting one because the the conceit of that magazine was it was broken down into sections so I do WWF section NWA section so it wasn't like a two page ratings page like you had your WCW ratings were over here and independent ratings were over there but yeah a lot of you know, I really... Information in the ratings.
0: I really enjoyed doing the ratings, and which is a surprise, because every issue, they would change. Yep. Like, if we did three issues, we did one on a Monday and another one on a Thursday, the ratings would be different in the Thursday magazine, because things happen in the interim. Yes. Titles would change. Uh, people would leave federations, all that kind of thing. So it was a lot to keep up with, but I really enjoyed the heck out of that.
1: And we also had a page called Ratings Analysis. Right. Which typically was the last page of the magazine. That, yeah, it would just, it would look at the, there was a, a, a lot, and you know more than anybody else, a lot of work went into those three pages. Yes, uh, the but two, I loved the every two ratings pages That was the ratings my favorite analysis. thing to
0: do. I don't, you know why? Because growing up, it was my favorite thing in the magazines. Mm-hmm. All of them, from the Kiteser books to ours, ratings were my thing. And I kind of... <laughs> I kind of weighted him a little differently and still got wind of it. I don't think he was happy, but he let me do it in that. I always consider a pinfall win meant more than a disqualification win or a countout win. In other words, a pinfall weighed a little bit, just a little heavier in my mind's eye. Right. Cause that, that was a pinfall is the ultimate thing you're looking for as a wrestler, not a countout or a DQ. Somebody, you know, kicks you in where you're not supposed to be kicked and you're going to win. That's not, it doesn't make right. you a better contender, I don't think. So um, he goes, that's how you do it? I said, yeah. He said that and putting them all together with what with the information I got from Bill and, and you and whoever else was compiling. Every Monday we were on the phones. You remember that? Talking to the various federations. George South would call me, you know, whatever his little league was at that point. And we had tons and tons of uh, information every week to put the ratings together. But this, I mean, it's almost a PWI
1: 500. Looking at all these categories, it it's is. It's mackerel. amazing. It looks daunting, um, doesn't it? It's very daunting. I, I, I uh, do. Do you have any memories of anything that stands out while doing the ratings where it was like either you got grief for ratings or just a, a Lawler, difficulty one, in putting it together? Gary
0: Lawler as number one when he when he won the AWA title and was defending it. Or what he called the uniform, the Unified World Championship at that point, because it was—I forget what the other one was, probably USWA World Class
1: at the same right. time.
0: And the I, we got flack, I think, from the NWA for putting him in, in number one, as I recall, because you know. But he Waller was doing it old school. He was going to Continental. He was going to Alabama. He was going to Memphis. He was he was working in upstate in an indie. He was defending. The champion against all comers, like no champion was doing at that point. I think he deserved to be number one at that particular moment. In time we made him that. So that's the it's, one time I can recall
1: getting some flack for a choice that we made. Yeah, you know, it's great. Just look at this a magazine from '92. Just, okay. like, just looking at these categories. So here's just for the heck of it. Win. What, what was win? Read, read me the names. So the the win. Which is kind of a good name for you know, good acronym yeah, for wrestling, right? Yeah. The, win, the win champion to be determined. <laughs> Must have been new. Going from number 10 to number one. Number 10, King Kalua. Number nine, Tommy Rose. Number eight, Sledgehammer McGill. Number seven, Kirk Dredd. Number six, Agent Orange. Number five, Tom Brandy. Number four, Douglas Witherspoon. Number three, A.C. Golden. Number two, Neil Superior. Number one, Max Thrasher.
0: That sounds like Philadelphia area. How the heck did Could they get be. in there? I don't know. Yeah, I don't even ECW know. And here. you know, here's the point. Back then, if I was sitting across the room for you, I would know who every one of those guys were at that point. <laughs> and where and they I should did. be in the 500. I really did, yes. But now it's like, huh, who, What? what? <laughs> Wow, step step away from it for three and a half decades, and you'll forget them too. You know, it's just it's just the way it was. But back then, I knew who
1: every one of those guys were. I like the cumulative ratings thing. That's that was an interesting idea. So it's, I think that yeah, was only in that book, though. Could be. These ratings are based on the past five issues of this magazine. We have examined our ratings for each of those issues in our top ten and tag team categories only, and assigned each position a point value: ten points for number one, nine for number two, etc. So, regular ratings reflect the past month. These cumulative ratings give an indication of wider trends in the sport. That's pretty cool. Like, how do you? I mean, how do you really bring? data insights into pro wrestling that's we kind of figured out a way to do it ah oh, boy and
0: you know at that point you're talking 1992 you know how against the grain that was considering you know you had the bushwhackers running running, and going Rah! you know it, it was <laughs> you know what i'm saying and yeah you, you know don't go messing <laughs> with a country boy and uh
1: you legion know. of doom were number 10 in tag teams
0: matilda has been kidnapped from the british bulldogs and we're, we're, we're doing cumulative
1: <laughs> ratings folks <laughs> yeah Wow so yeah so that was a that was a lot of work for the ratings I think more than more than people realize we we all worked hard I, I i just recall doing
0: it for the longest time I don't know if I did them all but I know I did a lot of them I remember that
1: and i I loved every minute that was my favorite job give it to me anytime so now the magazine is done everything's written everything's pasted up on these art boards it's all Physically packaged up in a box and sent off to the printer. Okay. But, but you also more that for, You
0: also forgot the meeting in the art department.
1: Yes. You're right. Right. You're after
0: right. after things were pasted up, we would go and yes. give it a quick look-see. Not even a quick, take a couple yes. hours and pour over the thing and find errors and exactly and, right. And I, I did maybe, forget about that. Maybe get rid of a photo that was a little blurrier. Something, anything that was wrong, we could fix it the last possible second.
1: Yep. We would all sit around a table. It wasn't a post-mortem. It. it was a pre-mortem. I don't know what to call yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I oh, Boy, I feel like we had a name for it. But, but we did. We had a name for those meetings. Um, but yeah, we would go through everything page by page. Page by page. Yeah. And, and you you get some editorial.
0: Oh, I really like this photo. Or I like this layout. Yeah. Or boy, this is a great article. Or what's this picture of Terry Taylor doing? That's not Terry Taylor. That's, you know, it's precious. Right. You know, whatever whatever (laughs) it was, whatever the error was, we could catch it. Yeah. It was far from a rubber stamping,
1: as I recall. There was was always stuff. There was more,
0: there was more proofing to do. Um, Once that thing went out, Right. Now you're saying we're sending it to, to the printer. Then this we get right the before blu- we send
1: it to the printer. Yeah. And then
0: we get blue lines back or blue prints, whatever you, you'd like to call yeah, blue them. Li- yeah, we call them blue lines. We call and them blue was, lines.
1: That was basically a version of the magazine that was just printed on thick paper. It was I guess it was like in, in, in the book industry it would be a galley. Right. Yes. A galley yes. proof. Right. And it was it was, you know, what we would all look at for final corrections and approval before it goes to press. That's right. And it smelled like
0: the, the, the uh, copy paper you get in school. Like dittos. Yeah. You just it smelled just like ditto. Hold it up. Sniff it up. <laughs> I love the way it smelled. Yes, it was good. And yes, we would find stuff even if we could still catch something at that point, right? That's right. That's what I recall. Yes. And send a composite page back to them with the corrections on it so yep. errors was, were not going to print. That's why we very stuff. rarely had big errors in our magazine because we would catch stuff
1: invariably one way or another. Or sometimes we'd forget to stick an ad in the box, or you know they like the. Oh, the sometimes the thing, it'd fall off. Yes, th- yeah, things would fall off in transit, yeah. and because you know the, the stuff haul. was
0: rolled, the stuff was rolled onto the pages with a roller. Yeah, who did the rolling back there? Somebody <laughs> was it Ken or somebody? You can hear, him. you can hear them rolling. It's rolling time. You know, it was like wallpaper, and just so you know how you, you know, the stuff would go by. How did we send it to them? Was it courier? Was it?
1: Yeah, I was guess it was mail. Was it? Was bail, like, was it? No, it wasn't regular mail. It was it was like a FedEx or UPS sort of. Yeah.
0: But once in a while, something would fall off. Like you'd get the blue line back without a photo and the photo was in the package. So they had to fix yeah. it. And You know, because they were literal
1: photos, folks. Or on the page, page would be upside down. <laughs> yes.
0: Or in the case of our friends at Kappa. No, we'll get into that in a minute.
1: Right. That's do you know what I'm going to talk about? I think I, think I do. That's, yes, you do. That's yeah. the next step. Right. Yes. Right. right.
0: Well, no, we'll go to this right now. <laughs> our pr- our, fr- our good friends at Kappa it was one of the first magazines we did with them, and they were they had taken over production, and we sent them a magazine, and we got the blue lines back, and everything was fine, everything was wonderful, and we get the magazines back with the proper cover and a previous issue on the inside.
1: <laughs> yes, indeed. i
0: I am literally, folks, pooping my pants. I mean the women are screaming get a bucket (laughs) i'm going this can't be happening so i run to the blue lines i run to our copy of the blue lines and they were yes thank you so i run to. (laughs) it's a five bell salute yeah so i run to the blue lines and i go Stu. I, i turn to Stu. who else would you turn to look at these blue lines these are correct this is what we sent them and this is what they sent us do you remember this
1: I don't, but yeah, it's, it's, I, I don't remember the details of it, but yeah, I remember the vague outline of it.
0: That was about as bad a moment. Uh, And they went on the newsstand. They were, we had gotten the copies back. You know, we were looking at the printed copies when they first came back. That and the fact that the crossword puzzle paper was so weak that the covers were too heavy for them and they were falling apart on the newsstand. There was another wonderful moment in the the Kappa transition. (laughs) I'm not making this up, and I'm not no, uh, listen, I am not blasting Kappa, all right? Yeah, I mean, and, I, I, I didn't know that you know the word "jumbles" could take so long, but but
1: <laughs> I'm sorry. I, <laughs> I, re, I recall, and you know it's not telling tales out of school. I mean no, the stories it's have been told, and yeah, yeah, you know, it was, it was, it was a rough transition. And we had a rough um, transition. They were trying something new. Well, so well, so Kappa owned the printing presses, right, as well as the publishing company. and And, you know, so the paper was inconsistent at best. And if you look at the paper in, say, Pro Wrestling Illustrated from the Rockville Center, London publishing days, and then compare it with, uh, you know, the wrestler or inside wrestling from the first year of the Kappa publishing days, there's a big difference. I'll say yes. diplomatically. Yes. But, but it was because- not unusual for editors who will not be named on both sides of the fence, whether it was wrestling or boxing, that when we would get our sample copies. And, and Stu is listening to this, and he's sort of cringing and grinding his teeth, but also laughing, I'm sure. Um, it, it was not unusual when we would get our advanced copies back from the printer for them to be passed around to the editors in the office who would look at them, flip through them quickly, and literally throw them across the room in disgust. It was a very frustrating time. Well, I, they did get the hang of it eventually, I think, didn't yes. they? Yes. Yes, they They did. did. Yes, they. This did. this was growing pains. I, I it, was, it was it was very much growing pains.
0: Besides, by the time issue four or five came out, I was already gone. So it's it's like, you know, I I, I will say that was a contributing factor to my alacrity at <laughs> getting the hell out of there. I, I mean it. I mean I I just found that to be so off the rails bad that I was like, what's next? You know, I was worried. You
1: know, yeah, I, it
0: does say I wasn't full of confidence at that point. Right.
1: You know, it was it was it was kind of daunting. It was it was a tough transition. And I, I mean I remember when we did make the move to Pennsylvania and I spent almost a year driving from Long Island to Pennsylvania working Monday through Friday then driving back to Long Island because we had a 4-year-old daughter, a son who was just born, and my wife at the time was trying to sell a condo that we owned and live, you know, dealing with two kids all by herself. And I'm in Pennsylvania working like 16 hour days to keep the lights on and and the magazines to make sure we, we don't miss a deadline, which we never right. did, and right. then we weren't gonna miss one again and try and get things up and running. It was a it was a rough, rough year. But uh, <laughs> there you know, I would love to get um, Steve Farhood and Bill Aptor together to see what sort of memories they have of that time because the three of us lived in a little house on the new owner's property. Oh and really? I'm, oh yeah. Far, Farhood went. Farhood, yeah. I did not know Very that. For a little while, and the three of us lived in a house together, and I just, I just love to know what memories they have of it. I just like, remember a lot of exhaustion and overwork, and
0: you would figure it'd be almost like a college collegiate feel, but it probably was. you were probably all sleeping all the time. Pretty, yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah,
1: yeah. That'd be rough. Every all right, once so, in a while, we would get a phone call from. Uh, From the boss, that you know, the shades in the in the house were uneven. You know, they all had to be (laughs) exactly even in each window. You know, like fifty percent up or all closed or something. So if they were if they were out of sync, you know, we'd hear about it. You know, make sure the shades were even. That kind of stuff. So glad I didn't (laughs) go. Good God, heck, holy mackerel! I will. I will say this. I don't want to. I, 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 again, you know, like I said, it was growing pains, and I don't want to badmouth Kappa Publishing, or and I don't want to uh, come across like I'm bad mouthing uh, Nick Karabatz. May he rest in peace. Right. Um, also, you know, Mister Karabatz was whatever you think about. You know, throwing magazines across the room. He was a very successful businessman, um, and did an awful lot of charity work in the area. Um, so, you know, my hats off to them for that. And
0: I'll say one more thing about the people that I met from there when I was talking to them, when they came to Rockville center to pitch the idea of going there, they were above born honest at everything they were about to do. Yeah. They didn't hide anything. They didn't soft soap anything. Yep. This is what's going to happen. It was all done in clear, uh, language. So if you decided you wanted to come, come on board. And if you don't Godspeed, I mean, it was, they were really just, Really honest, I I, yes. I found that refreshing. I, I didn't I've, agree. I didn't agree with the way things were going, obviously. But the fact is, it wasn't their fault. They were going to run their business the way they found fit to work, run their business. It's the way they probably did it. With the things that made them successful in the first place. Right,
1: exactly. And I I have known people through the years who have been through similar situations and were promised X and they wound up getting Y. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that yeah. was not the case. I mean, like you said, everything was very honest and above board, and this is where we're going, and you know, we hope you come along for the ride. I'm wondering, Bob, is there anything – we covered a lot of territory, right, from, from headlines all the way through to blue lines, all the way through to the, the printed product. Is there, is there anything of the process that particularly stands out to you, or do you feel like we forgot? Yes. Launch. Lunchtime! time!
0: Rockville Center Diner, baby. I love that place. Yes.
1: That's yeah, that, what that's it was true. called.
0: RBC Diner was fantastic. Hey, how you doing, Bubby? I was and on the Atkins program. He threw hamburgers at me. Hello, how are you? How's it going?
1: <laughs> and Ken Morgan, every day, was almost always Ken Morgan, right around noon. You'd hear the cry come out from the art department. Lunchtime! Everybody go out to lunch.
0: I hope, if Ken ever hears this, I hope he doesn't mind me saying this. He did the funniest thing in the arts department, when things were getting hairy or crazy, remember what he used to do? <laughs> Circus music. He, he had this high pitched, beautifully tonal version of a calliope that I have ever heard, and it was so loud it would reverberate down the hallways. <laughs> but no, lunch was a special time. at, yes. at, at London. Yes, publishing, it was. We had we had the Bomb Factory, also known as the Rockville Center diner or deli. I guess right down yep. the street. Right. Who made the black and white cookies?
1: Oh, boy. There was a bakery right across from the Rockville Center train station. Yeah. Uh, the Front Street Bakery. Front Street. To this right. day, as far as I'm concerned, the best black and white cookies you'll find anywhere. And we also Still there. Have, we have Bialy Stock and Blue. Bialy, the Sock, new, and Blue. The new,
0: the new eatery that had really good food.
1: Yes, they had pretty good uh,
0: bagels in there. And, yeah, and what was, was this, what was what was was that the fancier place was Biala Second Bloom, right? The fancier yeah. point. that was because Carrie von Eric p- ate there, and, and Mark Lewin ate there. It was a good <laughs> Bill pizzeria. Bill would take the rest of us out to lunch. It was a good yeah. pizzeria, right? Not too far. So lunch was very important. It's and it's a important part of all of our days, I, I believe. And we had some excellent lunches in Rockville Center. Here yes, there are all the eateries and diners and. You know, we didn't eat McDonald's a lot. Everybody ate good food for lunch. Yeah. Though. Back when or, you can afford a sack lunch. You ever have a sack lunch lately? I have not had no. I can't say that I have. I'm telling you a full-size submarine sandwich and a bottle of pop will set you back between $15 and $18 these days. Hmm.
1: Well, I've been from home for the last 25 years, so Whether well, you, you oh, lunches eat lunch great. in a little way. Jeez. I know. Gosh.
0: But no, that that's how we put our magazines together and it it was a lot of work, but it really wasn't bad. And I, I don't know if I can speak for you, Craig, but do you miss it? Because I do. I miss the camaraderie. I, I miss the laugh. I, do. I miss. I miss a lot of things about it. I miss the fact that I even ended up at a job like that. You know, it was such a fluky thing for me. And and uh, you
1: know, um, I've, I've been very fortunate in my career that subsequent jobs have they haven't matched the atmosphere of the magazines, but they've come close in a lot of ways. Um, You know, when, when we were talking earlier about, you know, headline sessions and the idea that, you know, everybody, not just the writers, you know, the photographers, whoever else, even, you know, boxing department wanted to contribute. Whoever was around, you know, there were no bad ideas. It was just a, a very healthy creative process. And actually, a. um, sort of a principle that I've carried through in my career. You know, there's no bad ideas. Put it out there because it may spark a good idea. Right. There, there was there was just a chemistry among everyone that worked there. I remember, I don't think I mentioned this the last time, but I know Stu, Stu would talk about this once in a while. You know, I'd have my desk over here and Stu would have his desk over there. And there would be times where something would be coming up a discussion and we would look at each other. And we would just know from a glance that, you know, this is the way it ought to be, or this is what we ought to do for that story. Or there was sort of this unspoken communication that would happen. Yeah. Yeah. And it happened with everyone. And uh, it's it's very, it's very rare to get uh, a group of people in a creative environment working that closely, working on such high volume of work, and really not having a lot of friction among each other. I mean... Everybody supported. We talked about this a little bit last time. Everybody supported each other uh, by and large. And yeah, you know, somebody has a bad day now and again, but far and away it was just such a positive working environment. Yeah.
0: On a personal level, I think the one thing I hope I proved is that I knew my stuff from the first day I walked in the door in terms of wrestling stuff. I thought I really knew my stuff. And, um, I had an opportunity to kind of show it off a little bit. And not, not not that it was egotistical about it, I don't know how to put this, but it made it easier for me because I did have such a background in reading every magazine that ever came out and every TV right. show that, I, even while I was there, I was taking my Yates tapes home and watching them from six hours every weekend. I did it every week. I liked the subject matter and the fact that I could be immersed in it. That's rare in life, you know. How often do you get a chance to work yeah. on the fringes of something
1: that you're really a, that big of a fan of? You know. Now I don't know that I have an answer to this question for myself, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Okay. I don't know if you have. Is there anything in your time at the magazines that you really learned or took to heart that carried you in in good stead in the years that followed? Standards.
0: Man, I got a lot of that from you. Okay. I've worked for some good editors. You're one of them. Thank uh, there's you. I a fe- there's that. a fellow named Jim Harris at the Catskill Daily Mail who was one of the most brilliant people I've ever known. Some editors at my second newspaper, the Hutchinson Register Star, and these people taught me so much. I got into newspaper work on a total. There's another fluke how I even got started in this stuff. I mm-hmm. contributed some freelance articles to a newspaper and they hired me just like that. Didn't even ask what my background was. He said, "You got what it takes. Come on and do it." And I learned on the job at all these places, um, but at London, you learn how to be succinct. You learn how to you learn how to uh, prioritize. At London, we can work on this A B C D E, and we'll get it done in this amount of time. Right? Yeah. I, I took that with me every single place I went. After that, triage. E- even as even as we moved uh-huh. on to Quark Express and InDesign and all the new word processing programs that the basic tenets of publishing that I learned. It's all served me in good stead until, like I said, until um, middle of 2021, when I finally walked away from it, you know, it it was, um, my job never changed after London. I was doing the same thing when company after company, after company, you know? So it, but GC London and the wrestling magazine were the biggest stepping stone of all that. Because I went from small newspapers and agate type to Pro Wrestling Illustrated, and it was daunting in in terms of I never wrote for a national magazine before PWI ever. You know, all y'all seem to have had freelance opportunities. I was coming from the sticks, you know. I was coming from
1: from um, you know, Catskill, New York, for God's you, sake. You just reminded me of something. I don't know if you were there when we did this, but do you remember? That we had a wrestling column in one of the tabloids. I think it was the National Examiner. uh, Was it the Examiner? Was it the Globe? I I think it was the one or the other. The Globe or the Examiner. I think it was the Globe. Do you remember that? Did you write any of that? Or
0: I wrote a lot of it. I hated doing it too. (laughs) (laughs) No, because they wanted it in a certain style that we didn't do. Right. And I immediately hit a wall. In, In my mentally, I went, they want what? You know, it had to be an entirely different style. And it still explained to me what they were looking for. And it took me a while to get the gist of it, but I finally did. First few were bad because I I was still writing in our style. Mm-hmm. I, I, if, if if there's one thing I could do as a writer is emulate. Right. When I joined GC London, I emulated your all style. Every style that I read there from reading the magazines for years. Every other magazine I've ever worked at, I figure out what their style was and emulate it friggin tabloid i couldn't figure out anything about that it was like hey everybody did you know that you know nick busick and deadlift 350 pound isn't that something you know that's kind of like what they were looking yeah. for you
1: know it was and i wasn't used to that. very different tone of voice than we had, yeah, it, had
0: yeah. to, it had to be more conversational to the end power i think so it was a little daunting i did write some of them i don't know if i wrote all of them i wrote enough of them
1: yeah but i uh, wish i I'd, I'd like to see some of those columns again i yeah, it was PMUI in yeah. in
0: the Globe. I think it was called The Globe. Yeah. One of the, you know, the newsstand checkout books.
1: The Rags, as my mom
0: used and to And I remember them. Nick Busek going <laughs> on Georgia TV and he's holding the collar and going, Really? Can you believe it? Georgia wrestling in a national publication and he's holding wow. the thing up for the fans to see. Yeah, he was he was excited about it. They all were Very cool. You know, what you know, when we wrote about somebody small, yeah, God, that was such a nice feeling. Giving somebody their first press or or helping out a, a, a league that was kind of, not on the skids, just smaller. Mm-hmm. And then they see themselves on a national stage. I think it, they loved it. They really did. Oh, absolutely. It was absolutely. a nice feeling. You know? And like I said, I always, the introducing features I wrote were one of my favorites. You know, uh, Everybody from Dustin Rhodes to uh, Rob Van Dam and Sid Vicious. Sid Vicious, yeah. Yeah. I, and a lot of people that never went anywhere. One guy did Brian Donahue, who we pu- published a photo of him holding a football helmet. He's a big former football player. Okay. He was he later became the guy who beat up Alan Coulter on the Letterman show every <laughs> week. Really? Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Do you remember those sketches where I was reading something and this big guy would come out and just beat the living hell at <laughs> Alan Coulter? Yeah. That was Brian Donahue.
1: <laughs> I did not know that was Donahue, but that's that's a great trivia piece of trivia. Yeah. So but remember, you know I what? remember the, I remember the bits on Letterman. That's, oh man, that's terrific.
0: Yes. So here's another guy who got some pub out of me, you know, um, it, it was fun until it wasn't fun. <laughs> I don't know what to say. <laughs> you know, it, when real life, real life got in the way for me personally, mm. I would have, I just still been doing it. If they would have had me, I, I don't know, but real life got in the way. Like I said, I had bought property, couldn't leave. That was was that. You know, I I beat that drum enough on the podcast. When I started this podcast, my initial podcast is, I'm not going to talk about myself. What am I doing here? I've been talking about myself for two episodes here. Well, why not? But you know what? I think it's interesting. I would hope that our listeners who are big fans of the magazine would want to know what it's like to sit in that circle, that semicircle, with us and come up with headlines for a story and look at the new photographs that we got from Mm -hmm. Bill After and be part of that creative process that everybody wonders how we did all that stuff. You, you got to remember too, we were just talking about putting together one magazine. At one point we were putting together 11 magazines or 12. That's mag- right. right. That's it right. Was, it was a, I don't know, I think the scientific term is shit ton of magazines. We were putting
1: together. <laughs> yes, indeed. And, 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 you know, and there were different processes, right? So there were also, we had our reprint magazines, wrestling USA. That was a, a sort of a different process because there was no original writing really in those except i think you know we did the ratings of course Mm -hmm. um and a contents page i mean yeah you know you don't even think about that you actually had to write the contents page yeah um you know with the headline and whatever the law that so you know you bring up you bring up a really good point there
0: i don't remember writing contents ever
1: i remember writing contents pages and we also a lot of people don't remember that in addition to wrestling and boxing for quite a while. We also published detective magazines and Western yeah. magazines. Mm-hmm. And these were all reprint magazines. And the only thing that needed to be written for it was the contents page. And that was part of my job was writing the content pages for these. So if you were to go back and find these magazines from 81, to 82, and you look at the headlines of the stories. But if you look at the second line under the headline, we call them the underline. If you looked at the underlines and read them vertically on the contents page, you would see messages written. Like <laughs> we mm-hmm. talked earlier about Carl Lovick, our chief of production, you know, Carl sucks <laughs> <Something like that. laughs> just to see if he would catch it. Cause that was his thing, putting together the old, right. you know, the stories on film. And, now, as I re- and as
0: I recall, our contents pages wouldn't just have the title. They'd have a cell line too, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's what the underline. Yeah. Right, you know, here's uh, well, let's let's find one from one of your columns here. Blindsided by Bob Smith, R- the Ramblings from Ringside. <laughs> Succinct, I like it. There you go. Yeah, how about an, uh, article? Uh, an article? An ar- let's article. Let's see. Blur. Uh, pretty straightforward. The Beverly Brothers on the rebound: How superstardom almost destroyed their careers. A clear case of too much too soon. Okay. So, you know, Sting wins the U.S. title. Now Luger will have to wrestle me. Underline, the world champ can't ignore his top contender. Okay. So yeah, it would give it a little just, bit of. It adds a little juice to it, sure. Yeah, a little extra juice. So if you're at the newsstand looking at the content. If I ever wrote page, him,
0: I don't remember him. That's one thing that's completely out of my mind. I don't ever remember writing yeah. the content. Maybe that was Andy's gig. Remember I mean, we Andy we Rodriguez, been, folks? Yeah. Andy Let's Rodriguez, not forget absolutely. Andy and, and
1: Dave, Dave Andy. Rosenbaum. Dave Rosabam and Dave Lanker, who
0: came mm-hmm. along later.
1: Yep. Um, uh, Joe Bua.
0: Joe Bua, Uh Gene Trada, John Trotta. Yeah, yeah. Um, who, yeah. And Chris Bernuka. And Chris Bernuka. Yes, all all compadres of ours. And, and uh, Costia Kennedy. Costia Kennedy writing wrestling articles remains one of the biggest mind blowing <laughs> things I can remember because he's now he's now considered one of the best sports writers in the whole world. That's right. And, a real journalist, and he was writing warrior stories.
1: Amazing, well, and, and uh, Gary Morgenstein, who I replaced as columnist for On the Road, has written several novels, mm-hmm. um, and is a play, an award-winning playwright, right, um, right, and a hell of a nice guy. And yeah, it's you know it was a it was a launching pad for a lot of talented people. Let me ask you something. No. I have. Okay.
0: Thank you very much. We'll see you next time. No, there we go. No. Um, <laughs> let me ask you something. Have you ever considered be it a biography or a fiction tome uh, about writing a book? I haven't answered this personally. I can't do it. I have tried. I but tried but I mean, writing just, a humor book about bowling right. once. And I, I thought it was, I thought it was funny, but I think people would think it was obtuse so I dropped the idea after a couple of chapters. Have you ever
1: tried? Have you ever considered it? Um, I have not. Well, I've written a bunch of books, but not really books, right? Well, I've, what I've written is, a bunch
0: of. Wait a minute. That's like saying it's lunch, but it's you know. Yeah. So it's what... <laughs> But it's it's you know. pat yeah, Well, no. What? Yeah. Is it's, it, a, what?
1: it's dinner, but it's out of a vending machine versus right. dinner <laughs> in a nice restaurant. Yeah. Right. I mean, I I wrote like almost three dozen books, a lot of them wrestling biographies. Really? Um, Yeah. Um, For who? For There was a company based out of Philly. uh, I think Chelsea House Publishing was one of them. And you can go to Amazon. Some of them are written under my name. Right. Um, Some of them are written under Matt Hunter's name. Matt Brock, Liz Hunter. Oh, yeah. Matt Hunter. Matt Hunter. (laughs) Um, Some are written under the name Kyle Alexander. Um, my son is named Kyle, my daughter is Alexandra, so Kyle okay. Alexander. But those are sort of quickies. They're basically, I mean, they're 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 pretty decent books as far as they go. 68 pages sold into the middle school library market. But you're talking like, you know, uh no, I, I, Gary I, I, Morgenstein I, writing a novel about, you know, post-apocalyptic world where, you know, the last season of baseball, like a real novel, something like that. Uh, I never tried that. I I did play around with some ideas. Actually, when I was at the magazines, I had ideas that I was trying to formulate around what would what would wrestling be like in the far future. So you know, zero gravity cage match. What would that be like? So I was so I was playing around with with ideas like that. But I never. I always felt like if if I was going to write a book, you know, a real book, right. It would be something, I would get the idea, and I would have, I would just have an irresistible urge to have to write it. And I never got that. And right. I've thought of I've thought of ideas through the years of books that I'd like to write or, you know, but I, I never, I never got that irresistible urge. And I feel like unless I had that, it wasn't worth just trying to squeeze something out if, if I didn't have that juice behind it.
0: You know, all these years later, I, I've come to the realization that personally, I'm a hack, but I don't think that's an insult. I can churn out really quickly reams of really quick readable copy that are succinct. I write great headlines. I write good short pieces. That's what I do. Um, that's what I've oh, been, That's what I did for the last seventeen years before right. the job I have now. I, it's it's like you need something. Forty five minutes. I'll give it to you.
1: I would love to have worked. I would love to have been born, say, twenty five years earlier. And worked in the era of you know the the real glory days of the pulps, you know during World War II, the genre fiction, you know all in color for a dime. Oh yeah. you you drop your dime, you drop your quarter and you get your weird tales magazine or your, your science fiction mag or the shadow doc Savage, all that sort of stuff. Or even a little bit later in the fifties, sort of the glory days of genre fiction in the paperback era. I would have loved to have played in those sandboxes, but uh, yeah, eh, born too I- late for that. So it was pro wrestling.
0: However, and I was telling uh, uh, Javier Oys this in our last episode, I am very sorry that I took wrestling and I stuck it in a drawer and I ignored it for over three decades. I did. I really did. I just stopped cold and never went, never even thought of it. Um, because now thanks to the two podcasts I've been on, I get letters. Hey Bob, I remember when you wrote this. I loved it when you wrote that. Do you remember this? Do you remember that? Which means as pulpy as the work you and I have done, it had meaning to a lot of people. They enjoyed it and they were entertained. Yes, that's why you do stuff like this. Exactly. That's that's the end result. It's the end user, not us. It's the fact that people went out, and spent three twenty five for a copy of PWI, and read the ratings and, re- and read the articles and put the centerfold on the wall if you're a kid. Yep. And that, I'm, I'm, that has value. It has value. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm proud of that.
1: Absolutely. I'm I'm glad you mentioned that because that's actually my answer to the question I asked you a few minutes ago, which is what's the thing that you took from the magazines that carried you, you know, that you brought with you the rest of your career right? and the focus on the end user, the focus on the reader. You know, we always used to say things like, um, you know, if you have fun writing your story. The person reading the magazine is going to have fun reading it it's always with the end user in mind it wasn't oh we have to do this to make money no it was really how are we going to please the reader we we're always it was always a very customer first mindset right and that's something that I absolutely have taken throughout the rest of my career because you know um, I
0: was I was that reader growing up I was that reader yeah. as an adult I was the end user myself yep. I knew what I liked. And I knew if I did it well, I would. There's another me out there that felt the same way I did, and there was exactly. Thankfully, there were millions of them, and that's a nice feel. I I get it so much now. Our our last guest, Javier, was like, "Oh, I got this." He showed me his collection of magazines with me in them, and I'm like, "Dude, that's a long time ago." Yeah, Uh, phenomenal. I, 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 I
1: never knew, and I should have realized. You know. I would love for somebody, um, Tashin, T A S C H E N. Are you familiar with them? The publisher, book publisher. No. no. They do. Uh, they do tremendous books on all sorts of subjects. Um, usually oversized, very art-driven, um, very pop culture-driven in a lot of ways. They've done books on circus. They've done Marvel comics, DC comics, EC comics. Boy, they should do something on wrestling magazines, because it is just such a uh, just such a piece of pop culture at a certain time that meant so much to so many people, as you say. I would love to see like a real, you know, a real coffee table book devoted to all this. I'll take it a step inward.
0: And I've thought of this lately, and I really mean this. I think that Pro Wrestling Illustrated should be in the WWE Hall of Fame.
1: Bill Apter absolutely should.
0: Mm -hmm. One or the other, or both. I I think that we did mean something in this business. I mean, when Bruno San Martino gave his acceptance speech, what did he talk about? He talked about the magazines and how he would go around the country. Oh, I read about you in the magazine, or he'd Uh go overseas, or we read about you in the magazines. The magazines had a lot of weight, in the pre-expansion era. Yes, they did. And they were the, the top way that people got their news and information and other promoters would lean on them too. So I think the
1: time has come. It it was no joke. We outsold sports illustrated on the newsstand. Yeah. They had a few more subscribers than we did. (laughs) yeah, but, but but no, that's, 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 that's that's no joke. No, it's not.
0: No, but you know what I'm saying? It's like, I think, I think it's time. No wrestling magazine has been lauded on a national scale before this, and I think mm-hmm. our time has come. Not our, not
1: mine, not mine. The magazine itself, you or, know, or, le- or at least maybe a dark side of the ring episode about it.
0: <laughs> what what's what's our dark side of the ring, Mister London? <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah, uh, uh, you 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 talked out finally. On that he note. Yes, I think we should wrap it up. So I hope you folks enjoyed our little trip down memory lane, how we put our magazines together. If we were lucky, we'd do it one more time. Imagine it. Indeed. It It was a lot of fun. Just one. Get the whole crew back together and put one more magazine out. I just think that would be... That'd be fun. That'd be fun. Hey, uh, Mr. you are listening?
1: He's out there somewhere.
0: He's out there somewhere. Hello? (laughs) <laughs> there we go. Uh, you just peeked out like crazy, buddy. Uh, here goes our recording. But anyway, right. this is Craig Peters, a good old friend. And I'm gonna say this publicly, we gotta get together.
1: Absolutely.
0: It's not not in a has Zoom been meeting. Great. We have to do it for yeah. real. You and Absolutely. you'll come back on the show soon if if I'm lucky. Whenever,
1: whenever you want. Whenever you want. This is so much fun. I love talking about this stuff. Let's get after on. Yes, can, all three of you should up. be on
0: at the same time. We can, we do, that, you know? up. Yeah, we can do that. Yeah, let's do it.
1: I know it. he's Give got the
0: equipment, so we we should have a round robin, and he can berate both of us at the same time. And we can so ask he, him
1: to do uh, impressions of wrestlers doing impressions of wrestlers, doing impressions of Jerry Lewis. I would just love to hear his Bruno again. That's all, or Jerry Lewis, or
0: Ed Sullivan, or you know. <laughs> Joe Franklin. Folks,
1: Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Craig Peters, thanks, buddy. Thank you. Always a pleasure. And uh, see you all on social media.
0: Yeah. We'll we'll tell you how to... You can look for him on Facebook, right? And Twitter.
1: I am on Facebook and Twitter.
0: Yeah. Tell people how they get a hold of you. I should have asked that.
1: Um, I was actually banned on Twitter for... Good uh, job. For retweeting um, something that uh, Mr. Musk... Tweeted with what, what I felt was not a particularly nasty comment attached to it, but the moment I hit send, my Twitter account was suspended. I was actually, I started on Twitter in 2008, but I restarted my account. So don't get scared when you see, you know, 12 followers. I actually have been on Twitter for a long, long, long time. Lohad Dreams, L O H A D R E A M S, is my Twitter handle had Dreams. Lohad stands for Land of Hope and Dreams, a Bruce Springsteen song. Surprise! <laughs> and, of course, Facebook as well. And, of course,
0: Facebook, Craig Peters. Yes. I, I've kind of jumped back on Facebook. I, I got a little disillusioned with Twitter. I've I, I got like 12,000-plus Twitter uh, friends, but uh, hey, it's well, not the same joint anymore. It just isn't. No, you can't find anybody there.
1: It's it's a car wreck, and I'm fascinated by car wrecks, so I'm still there. But yeah, yeah me too. But it's, 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 it's not what it used to be. At what's all.
0: sad is I've actually met people that I know in real life that are friends now through that, and it ain't the same anymore. It just isn't. Um, sometimes uh, removing the cages, you know, the bars of the cage is not a good idea. That's all That's I'll not- say. <laughs>
1: right? Well, if, yeah, if you've been to the monkey, the monkey exhibit in the zoo, they uh, they throw a lot more than their fruit around, so.
0: Good one. Um, I, I, yeah, I'll go for that. Okay. That's, that's what's a, going on. Good analogy. Anyway, folks, Craig Peters, thanks again, buddy.
1: Bob Smith, thank you, my friend.
0: So good to have my good friend Craig Peters back on board here to join us for all of this folder all and whimsy. In any event, uh, I hope you're enjoying things here. Uh, we'll do our usual sign off. You want to get a hold of us, and please do. It's wrestling at gmail.com. At Facebook, I'm Robert Smith. Twitter, Bob Smith NYC. Also, our official website where you can also listen to the show is outdatedwrestlinghour.buzzsprout.com. We want to thank everybody for the incredible response we've had lately. Also, we have a ton of guests coming up new ones, old ones, repeat guests, new people. We've got some surprising names that may uh, shock you in the coming weeks and months. We are working really hard to try to make this the best nostalgic wrestling podcast for your podcast dollar. I'm going to leave you with the words of George Animal Steel, who asked the rhetorical question, why they boo Lou?